the blast from our past network. Lock your doors, close your windows, turn out your lights, for chills and thrills await you. It's time for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Stay with a friend, say your prayers as grisly ghouls close in to seal your doom. Tonight's episode, Suburbia, starring Chris Peterson, Jennifer Clay, and Flea. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Patreon-selected episode of Podcasting After Dark. I am one half of the pad team, Corey, a.k.a. Sleazy C. Joined with me is my brother from another mother who no longer has COVID, Zach the Total Snackage Schaefer. I'm ready to jump into a pit at a Black Flag concert and start, you know, thrashing and going crazy. Yeah, buddy. Kicking yeah. people and just running around in a circle and letting it all hang out. <laughs> Coughing on people. (laughs) Yeah, this week, thanks to our pal and uh, Patreon member, Robert Ortiz, we are reviewing 1983's Suburbia. Zach, what kind of experience do you have with this film? Well, Robert Ortiz, first of all, you're awesome, Robert. We love you. Thank you for being a Patreon patron. And uh, thanks for suggesting this movie. My history with this movie is a photo that uh, Robert posted a couple weeks ago on his Facebook page of a old VHS box cover of Suburbia, like two very artistic looking punk rock caricatures uh, holding guns and seeing that at the video store back in the day, that video box, wanting to rent it, never renting it for some reason or another. I don't know why. Uh, because it fits into so many movies that we break down on this show. And I feel like my brother would have wanted to watch it back in the day because we were both into the punk scene back in the day. Uh, But I didn't. So my only history is that cover art that uh, Robert reminded me of not that long ago. So thank you, Robert. And that's all my history with Suburbia. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. Mine's pretty much exactly the same. Uh, I saw that same picture. Uh, I'll post it on the Instagram this week when we're promoting the movie. And I think a lot of people will recognize that uh, iconic VHS cover that really has nothing to do at all with this movie. And I wish the the Shout Select Blu-ray actually came with that cover. Cover, but instead it has a new a new cover that's okay that has like Skinner the the bald headed kid on the front um, but I like the reversible uh, the other original cover which is just them walking down the street but yeah this uh this would never have been in my wheelhouse I I would never have watched it unless it was for this show um, I I weirdly get a lot of people asking me my thoughts on the punk scene uh, especially from the 80s and uh, I was born in 78 so I was still way young in the 80s and I I know punk and everything but I I've never really listened to punk music. I've never really been into the whole punk scene. Nothing against it. Uh, just was never my my steez, man. Was never my bag. Uh, but I'm happy to now have this movie under my belt because, uh, well, 
it was an interesting experience. Uh, before we jump into it, Zach, Zach, what was your just your overall thoughts of the film? Because neither of us have actually seen it, and we didn't pick it, so we don't really get a chance to talk about you know our our as like sort of thoughts, fresh thoughts on it before we dive in. Because it's usually like, oh, I love this movie. Let's go check it out. Uh, yeah. What are your you know your spoiler free thoughts on it? Well, I, I have I have uh, quite a few. I, I guess I should really quickly say that I wasn't a huge punk kid growing up however movies that are similar in vain to this like uh, over the edge for example that came out prior to this movie um which i think owes this movie owes a lot of love to over the edge uh just you know dis- displaced youth or or you know uh, frustrated youth or angry youth or whatever um but i i was a huge black f- i was a huge black flag fan when okay. i was a kid okay that that was uh, definitely a band that I listened to a lot of. Uh, TSOL, which is in the band, which is in the movie, uh, I listened to them as well. I was more, you know, metal kid and and pop kid. I liked pop, eighties pop music, and and that's that was my jam, which I've talked about before. <laughs> mine too. Actually, buddy, mine too. I'm, I was all over the place from like Hall and Oates to Black Flag. So. It's a little bit of everything. I was also a little in '83. I was like seven years old. So. You know, I was not as affected by this scene as much as maybe my brother was, who was five years, who is five years older than me. However, there's something about, you know, coming from fractured families, divorced families, uh, one family living in a suburb and very relatable on the certain levels, you know, where. Uh, I saw my brother and my mom yelling at each other all the time and angry. You know, my brother was frustrated because of our situation at home. And uh, so I I could see all these things very relatable and why the scene attracted the people it attracted. Yeah. Um, And so watching this movie going in with a total fresh face, I really appreciated how kind of groundbreaking it was in some levels, especially with the writer-director, in, a, in a, a surprise and shock. Like, I knew who directed this movie. I knew who wrote this movie. Uh, but I didn't really think about her kind of overall impact on the the grand 80s scope yeah. versus just one movie that... She, she's known for a lot of movies, but one movie in particular that she's known for. She's so much... has such a wider range than that one particular cult classic, not just straight up classic of the eighties. Yeah. And we'll get into her filmography in a minute. Um, the director that is, uh, yeah, same. I, I, when I was watching this for the first time, it's been a rough couple of months for, for Corey. And I think a lot of people know that. Um, and especially this month, been trying to sell my dad's house in Florida from Oregon and it's just every day has been a pain in the ass and I've just been like just drained emotionally and everything and so I go to watch this for the first time and it's just it's not what I'm in the mood for it's not what I'm what I need at the moment and you know I know Robert didn't plan on any of this or anything but this is just where I'm at you know in in my head and everything so I watched it for the first time. It's, you know, it's a fairly depressing film and everything. And especially the bookends of the beginning and the end. And I'm just like, man, this this kind of got me down. But watching it a second time to break it down, 
you know, I was now already like sort of used to the fact that none of the kids in this movie are actors. Like maybe one is, I think uh, Jack is, um, but I, no one else is. Uh, so the there is no like quote unquote acting in this. It's just kids st- saying their lines, and it's kind of jarring at first. But after I got used to it on my second viewing, I really started to see the charm in this film, and I really cared about the characters. I found myself really caring about the kids in the movie, even I knew it was coming and everything. And I also found myself not seeing eye to eye with everything about them and everything they were doing. But at the same time, I still saw their perspective. And I I walked away really just being happy that I've seen this movie now, like really happy that it's under my belt. I feel like I have a better understanding of the punk scene in in LA. I mean, again, this is just one movie, but I feel like I know more than I ever knew before about the eighties punk scene. And as far as that goes, I find this very interesting, a very interesting film. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate on many levels uh, seeing this movie and really also identifying the fact that I agree with you, like, uh, you know, not ne- not necessarily agreeing with everything that they did, but understanding what they did. And, you know, thinking about movies that came out post this, uh, like Kids, for example. Yeah. You know, and going, wow, this that movie was probably influenced by suburbia for sure. Uh, and then, you know, the fun there's the, the fun punk scene is great. You know, if you think of like. Repo Man, for example, is a is a punk movie, but it's like a fun punk movie. This is like a this could be perceived on some levels as a fun punk as a fun punk movie, but then suddenly goes really dark really quickly, and you're like, oh shit, did not expect that. I'm glad you brought up Kids and Repo Man. Uh, just for kids, I've never been into those kind of movies. Like, so I kind of was watching this and I was like, ah, I kind of get shades of kids meaning, but I'm aware that kids probably was paying homage to this or at least inspired by this, but those aren't like my cup of tea. I'm not really into that. Um, so, you know, that was another sort of barrier for me, uh, in in my first viewing of this movie. Um, and then I just want to address Repo Man, uh, our pal Artie, uh, mentioned it, uh, mentioned it on the Instagrams, uh, about, you know, about how he kind of puts this in the same category as Repo Man. And I want to say I've never seen Repo Man, but I did buy the Criterion Blu-ray and Myra's going out of town this week and it's high on my to watch list, uh, this week. So I'm, I'm excited to watch repo man by the time you all hear this episode i might have actually already seen it yeah probably and good for you and i'm so glad you're on the repo man tip Um, that movie will probably show up on pad in the future i figured it's it's something that kind of always pops up in our circles our our uh our 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 orbit and everything but uh you want to dive into the cast and crew i don't foresee being able to take too long to get through this no, I, I think we should focus most of it on the director or writer, uh, Penelope Spheris, uh, who, who, you know, is, I think, mostly known for... The Beverly Hillbillies movie? Yeah, <laughs> the Beverly Hillbillies movie. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Little Rascals, I think, yeah. was also one. Yeah. Or, yeah, I think she had some... Uh, well, she directed Wayne's World, you know, so... When I said 80s, I meant that's what I meant, 90s, because that came out in 92. She's mostly known for that movie. Um, Yeah, Little Rascals, Black Sheep. 
You know, she's done some very mainstream popular movies. But then if you go into her early career from the 80s, which is what we focus a lot on as well, you're looking at like The Boys Next Door. Uh, That's a movie you've brought up multiple times. I have, and it will definitely come up on pad. Uh, yeah, it yeah. is actually spoiler. It's in Corey's stack, so yeah. when he gets to it, we will cover that movie. Um, Hollywood Vice Squad with uh, Carrie Fisher, which is actually really good. Hollywood Vice Squad is a, a, a poster, a VHS box cover that I recognize, and, 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 and I just, it's burned into my brain, but I kind of forgot about it until we did Vice Squad, and then I was looking for, uh, you know, promo stuff to post on Instagram for Vice Squad, and always kept coming up with Hollywood Vice Squad, and I was like, ah, oh, man, I need, to, I need to go back and watch that one, too, now. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, and uh, you should check out Dudes. If you've never seen Dudes with John Cryer and um, Daniel Roebuck, people might say, well, who's Daniel Roebuck? Well, he's oh. going to be in the new uh, – I mean, pe- people should know who he is, but he's Rob Zombie's boy. He's been in literally every you know Rob Zombie movie, and he's going to be pl- he's going to be playing Grandpa in the Munsters movie, which yeah. looks terrible. So I uh, – actually, Flea is in Dudes, too. Uh, uh, yep. But I actually uh, talked to Daniel Roebuck in line at Trader Joe's, uh, the, the one over by Warner Brothers uh, on National. Um, no, is that National? No, that's um, – Shit, I forgot which one that one is. Anyways, it's the one over there by Warner Brothers and everything in Burbank. And um, he was behind me in line, and you know, he just said something. I said something to him. I was talking to him. I was like, I recognize him. I swear to God, it took me five days of just random IMDb searching <laughs> to figure out who he was because I didn't know his name, and I'm like, I recognize him, but I don't know from what. Uh Hilarious. Yeah, and he was real nice, by the way. Um, dudes, I have a sort of a thing about dudes. Um, when I worked at the video store, at the 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 you know the, the adult video store slash mom and pop video store for about 10 years, uh, Dudes was one of those movies that was uh, we would always make fun of the cover. Um, I am actually really against John Cryer. I'm not a big John Cryer fan. So, wow. Okay. So uh, I kind of turns me off both sexually and humorly and uh i i we me and my friends we would literally make fun of the the cover dudes all the time and that's just now burned into my brain i don't know if i can get past that aspect of it my history with it well Catherine mary stewart's in it too so maybe you can uh, okay you know maybe not no (laughs) (laughs) uh penelope spheris also wrote summer camp nightmare which uh, if you've never seen, it's it's a decent 80s horror film, action horror thriller uh, with Chuck Connors as an evil. I think he's the I think Chuck Connors plays the evil um, uh, camp director, but it's, you know, fun camp, campy camp movie, yeah. if you will. Uh, yeah, so I mean, she's kind of a legend in, in especially in the indie scene, because so many of her movies are edgy. And then she went into the 90s and became super mainstream. But then she, I mean, Wayne's World is a classic. It's considered a classic on many levels. So, uh, you know. Well, she did the Little Rascals remake and then the Beverly Hillbillies back to back. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like, let me do these two and then the studio will give me, you know, what I want for for my next film or something. A lot of times you see uh, uh, film directors do that. Famously, Francis Ford Coppola would do that. He would do like three studio films and then they would finance one of his like,
like pet projects that literally made no money whatsoever. You know, yeah. Like what was that sailing movie that he did with Robert Redford or or something? You know, I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, made that was made a... no money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of. And now I was going to say, speaking of making no money, uh, the cast and the cast of this movie is not really extensive. No, um, you know, the one of the outside of Flea being in this movie, uh, there's an actor named Chris Peterson who plays Jack Diddley. I mean, I recognized him from Point Break, but he was also in Platoon and Twin Peaks. And, uh, you know, he's actually got a pretty extensive filmography he was in baywatch uh i think it was baywatch night no he's just regular Bay, baywatch yeah i mean he's he's i recognized him too i just don't know if it's from point break or platoon but yeah i definitely recognized him like right away uh uh you know on screen after that aside from flea i recognize nobody because most of them have only ever done this yeah, I would I would just point out too that Chris Peterson has the distinction of working not only with Flea but also Anthony Kiedis because Anthony Kiedis was in Point Break yep. and obviously Flea was in this. And now Flea's in the Star Wars universe too, by the way. Good old Flea. <laughs> Good old Flea, aka Razzle. Uh, do you wish you want to talk about him now since we're talking about him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was just a kid in this movie. You oh know? my. God, dude, like he, he, I mean, I think he was at least like 21 or something like that, but, um, well, cause he was born in 62 and this was made in 83. So maybe he was like 20, uh, 21, but man, he looks like he's 14 for real. Yes. Yes. And, and he has like a little monologue scene where I feel like everybody was just kind of talking about their own personal lives. I I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it, if it, it seemed pretty authentic when he was talking about what happened to him as a kid. Right. And actually, he's kind of fun in this movie. Um, I always forget that Flea... Like, I know he's, he also acts, but I always think it's sort of in, like, little things. But the dude actually has 104 acting credits on imdb like and some of that is actually voiceover stuff on like kids shows like the wild thornberries like he's a prolific actor as he is uh was is he a bassist or is he a guitarist yeah the bass player bass yep. player yeah yeah i mean he is he's he's really great um and he's really great in this so you know god bless flea for making a career out of being i mean early chili peppers was like Early Chili Peppers was serious punk rock. Yeah. You know, that that was fun. Punk funk uh, back in the day. So uh, it's cool that, you know, he went on to become who he is today. And I don't know if they're I don't know if they're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but it's definitely like a Hall of Fame type band. And, yeah. uh, you know, the, the guy is an all around nice dude as well because I met him. Oh, okay. Okay. I thought you were just throwing that out there. I was like, sure. Please, I'm sure he's a nice guy. But you met him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was it was some uh, kids like fundraiser event or whatever and 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 he's yeah, he's a very supportive uh supportive with the, you know, kids music and stuff like that. So That's cool. Super nice guy. Love hearing that. Love hearing that. Um Billy shit. Billy Coiny? Bill sure. Coiny? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, he plays Evan. Uh, uh, he was just in this and Guana Tragedy from 1980. 
Yeah, which is a made-for-TV movie with okay. um, Powers Booth hey. as Jim Jones. Oh, oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, I can. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, Powers Booth would make a good Jim Jones. All right. Yeah. Oh, it's it's really good actually. Out, out of all the made-for-TV cult movies, that's definitely one that I highly recommend. Well, Bill Coyne unfortunately passed away in 2011. Oh, bummer. Yeah, that's too bad. He was age that, 44. That's, that's a running uh, That's a running theme on our show. I know, I know. Especially uh, the last proper review we did, which was Bachelor Party. A lot of people are gone from that Oh, my movie. God. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> yep. Jennifer Clay plays Sheila, known for <clears throat> Suburbia. So Just this. <laughs> there you go. T- Timothy O'Brien, who I very much enjoyed as Skinner. He was the, the bald-headed guy just did this and i agree i'm like man that guy should have been in more stuff because yeah. he's really good yeah I, I felt like he actually had a presence yeah yeah and uh wade walston plays joe schmo joe schmo, <laughs> joe schmo. uh and he's known for this <laughs> yep <laughs> uh yep uh we got maggie who plays maddie uh she's been she was in the boys next door yeah, just this. <laughs> we have Grant Minor. He was just in this. Please, uh, Queef. Qu- Sorry. <laughs> Keef. <laughs> You're welcome, Crystal. You're welcome. Uh, Christina Beck, one of the few people in the movie that actually has a uh, an IMDb picture. Um, she's actually done qu- uh, a couple things, a few things, but I think um, now she's more of an artist uh, in L.A. I think more of a traditional artist. Uh, and a photographer. She's good. She's good in this. And I mean, ever like like you said already, all the actors being you know first time performers, she's good in it. Yeah, yeah. Now they do bring in uh, some a couple people to actually you know some actual actors, especially for the adults like Officer uh, William Renard who plays uh, uh, Jack's um, uh, stepdad. He's yes. actually been in stuff. Yeah, Hill Street Blues. Uh, days of our lives. I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of television stuff. Once we're warriors. Um, Which, that's a great movie, by the way. Have you great ever seen movie. That? Yeah, I I did see that. If you want like a depressing night of just you know one sad movie after the other, Suburbia, Once We're Warriors, Kids, Over the Edge. <laughs> They're all push you over that. the edge. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, once we're warriors. That's where uh, George Lucas discovered Tim Morrison for Django Fett because he plays a real fucking bastard in that movie. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I didn't know he discovered him in that though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking up the uh, as we as we go through the list of all these performers. It's very rare that uh, that you know these cast and crew are outside of like have done something outside of this movie. Yeah, because even like uh, the two assholes, um, Skokes and uh, you know Triplet, uh, I think I think they went on to like be producers or something. But yeah, both of them are just actors. Like, are they they've just done? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, Triplet, Robert Payton. He's only ever did this. Skokes, though, uh, played by Jeff Prettyman, who passed away in 2017. Now he worked on, you know, Suburbia. He worked on Total Exposure, Pure Country. So he's actually did more. He went on to do more stuff. Yeah, I mean, he his his filmography as an actor is not very extensive either. 
Uh, but he's done a few things, and he's recognizable as well. And he was in The Boys Next Door. So yeah, it's nice <laughs> again to see, uh, you know, the director using reusing actors from a movie that uh, she did prior. Yeah, yeah. And should we call out porn star uh, Gina Carrera, who plays the unfortunate girl that gets all of her clothes ripped off at the club? Yeah, I was like, oh, I, I here's your Linnea Quigley uh, stand-in. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. that's who I thought that was at first. I'm like, is that Linnea Quigley? Yeah. But that's not. <laughs> no, it's no. Just doing the same thing that Linnea does so well. Exactly. It's true. Come on, guys. It's like, call it what it is. So, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a lot of other kids and stuff in the movie. I Since no, none of them on IMDb have uh, pictures, I didn't know half of their names. Like, some of the girls, I didn't know their names if they didn't call them that. Uh, some of the kids, I just I couldn't even track because I didn't even know who they were. But for the most part, I think the, the these a cast of kids unknown, I think for the most part, they did a pretty bang-up job for not any of them being actors. I totally agree. Totally agree. You wanna you wanna do some fucking garage raiding and uh, dive into this thing, baby? Let's just get into this. Get down and get in the pit and start stomping. Let me hold on. Let me put my docks on and put my suspenders on and my Ben Davises and my chain wallet. No, did I have? Did they? No, they didn't rock chain wallets back then. Yeah, spoken like somebody who has no idea about the punk scene whatsoever in the eighties. Oh, ben Davis's were were in though, right? right? Which right? what is that? I don't know what that is. Those, those are pants. Those are like those, you know, the worker pants, oh. like black Ben Davis's. I thought they were like Dickies or Doc Martens or no, yeah, Doc Martens ben Davis shoes. Was, ben Davis was cool. Like they were like Dickies. Okay, they were cool. Okay, they had a monkey for the logo. <laughs> I don't even know. Let's jump into this, guys. <laughs> Let's do it. Come on! Meet the kids from suburbia. There's Jack. Wake up and smell the coffee, man. Sheila. Fast and these scars are ready. Joe. That could be there all your life. And Ethan. I feel kind of scared. You'll love them. Or hate them. Metal rejects running wild in our streets. Their music. We're talking about kids. Kids are like yours and mine. Well, I'm damn sure they aren't my kids. Their home. This is the best home any of us ever had. Besides, if we didn't have each other, we wouldn't have anything. And nobody's gonna take it away from them. You shut up! You molested your own daughter, you scumbag. A new movie about a new generation, Suburbia. The movie opens with a young girl hitchhiking on a California freeway. We later find out this is Sheila, played by Jennifer Clay. Oh, Sheila. Sheila. Great song, by the way. Good one, buddy. Great song. 
Yeah, thanks. A station wagon pulls over and picks her up. Inside, a woman is driving, and she has like a four-year-old kid in the front seat. Bro, different times, right? That's what I wrote. I'm like, oh, the 80s when babies could sit in the front seat of a car. No, like, I think she just had this. The kid just had the seatbelt on. Like, I don't even think there was like a, a chair or anything. Yep. Yep. I was like six or seven when I used to do that with my mom. I laid my, my no, I was like six or five. Laid my head down on my mom's lap when she was driving. Oh, while my, she was driving. Yeah. And she I got rear-ended too. and my head got stuck between her legs and the steering wheel. Oh shit. You're you're one of the reasons why they added the the seatbelt laws. <laughs> yep. Pretty much. Thank you for that rem, uh, memory, Robert. <laughs> Robert Ortiz. Thanks to Robert Ortiz, all my childhood trauma will once again be coming out Woo-hoo! on this episode of Podcasting After Dark, <laughs> including trauma to dogs. And <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, well, bring it all up, baby. Bring it all up. Get, get it out. Get it out. Ca- <laughs> you, too, can cause us trauma by signing up to the highest tier of our Patreon, just like Robert Ortiz did and Aaron Don Gilmer. So thank you guys for doing that, and thanks for... Lighting that fire. That's right. And thanks for showing us this movie, Robert. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a hell of a ride. Uh, she asks where the young hitchhiker is going, and the girl says, to the end of the highway. The girl holds the, hit, the kid's hand and plays with it. The driver asks, you're not running away from home, are you? Just then, the back tire of the station wagon explodes. <laughs> it's like an explosion. Uh, and they pull over to the side of the road and get out. Uh, including the baby, which the mom is carrying. All three of them head up a freeway off-ramp until they find a payphone. The mom slash driver hands the kid to the to the young hitchhiker, to Sheila, to watch so she can use the phone. The girl plays with the kid, then stands up and looks towards the street. She doesn't seem to notice a dog growling at the baby about 25 yards away. The kid starts crying and yells, Mommy! As the dog runs up and mauls him to death. The hitchhiker turns around in horror and the mom starts screaming, fade to black. Robert, <laughs> why did you do this to us? Right There's a Doberman Pinscher, by the way. <laughs> Doberman Pinscher. Bro, we, I could talk for a whole hour about this scene and how I was not expecting it whatsoever. But uh, thoughts overall on the first three minutes of the movie. I thought... If this is the direction we're heading in, holy crap, we're going to be in for a wild ride. Because, yeah, I mean, I laughed in, like, shock and disbelief. Like, oh, my God, <laughs> what is going on? I know. I know. Doberman one, baby zero. Uh, and, and it's shot well, too, because it's, it's a fake baby and everything. So the Doberman's like, <laughs> it's great. I loved it. I was like, whoa. Uh, yeah, so. Cut to Ethan. Uh, he's probably about seven or eight. Also, uh, we didn't mention this was all his only movie as well. Um, he's great, by the way. Yeah, he is. Actually, for a kid actor who's quote-unquote not an actor, I think he could have actually did things. Like, because like, he was better than a lot of other kid actors that I've seen. Sure it's not. Is it Evan? I thought Ethan was the young one. Evan is the older brother. That's right. Sorry. You're right. You're right. Never mind. So he's riding his big wheel on the street in front of a suburban house. He has a BB gun on his back. Inside the house, we see an older kid, Evan, probably 12 or 13, reading a comic book in front of a TV. The mom walks in holding one bag of groceries. Evan asks if there are any more, but she says no, couldn't afford any more groceries. Evan asks why she's late, and she says she stopped for some drinks with people from work. 
The mom then opens her stove and pulls out a bottle of vodka, then yells, Evan! She says in the Jesus. She says she, yeah, she's a real piece of shit. <laughs> she says she marked the label, and, and the bottle is a hell of a lot less than where she marked. Did your mom, uh, my mom was never a big drinker or anything, and my dad did, but I didn't live with him, so I don't know, I don't think he ever had to do something like this, but I do remember like my cousins, my uncle had to do it with my cousins who were like, he had four boys. So of course they were crazy. And I remember like some friends' parents had to do that, but we never, I never got into my parents' liquor stuff. Never had to do that. That was never an issue in our house, but I've been over to people's houses where the mom was screaming at her kids. It was so uncomfortable. And I'm like, wow. I mean, I, even when, I would think to get frustrated. I wouldn't do it in a way that would ever like be that just <laughs> over the top. But I've seen that happen. That shit is real. So, and those the the walls like the wood paneling walls. Oh, I, I so relatable. Like I think my brother punched a hole in a wall once like that, and just you know I was the kid in the big wheel. My brother was in yeah. the living room. Yeah, kind of thing, and so relatable on so many levels. But not the mom. Not the mom with the she's hilarious. It's it, when she screams his name out, it's really fucking funny because it just all feels improvised, but it, which is what makes it even more enjoyable. Yeah. 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 I drove my mom crazy sometimes a little bit. She, <laughs> and I think when she yelled at me looking back on it, I think it was more justified than this. I think uh, Evan's mom's a real piece of crap. Um, she is. <laughs> Evan says he didn't drink it. She probably did. The mom asks to smell his breath. He does. And she backs away. Uh, Evan goes back to read in his Superman comic. The mom opens the doors under the sink and two bags of trash fall into the floor. The mom now yells at Evan for not taking out the trash. She throws a bottle of ketchup at the wall and it breaks right above his head. Uh, Evan jumps out of his seat saying he's sorry he forgot. She like verbally lays into him for sitting around all day reading comics, then smacks Evan across the face. Like it's my god. And you know, I mean, the when they threw that jar of ketchup at him, they you know, I mean, they weren't trying to hit the actor, but it kind of hit kind of close. And he was like, "What? Goddamn!" You know? Yeah. I mean, it's intense. It is. The mom says, "You make me sick when you look like that. I can see your father in you. Makes me sick." Evan shoots back. Well, it's not my fault. I didn't choose him to be my father. You did. The mom says that was the biggest mistake she ever made. My God. Jesus. Cut to the garage, and Evan is putting some clothes from the dryer into a black trash bag. He also takes some books. He opens the garage door and goes out. Ethan asks where he's going, and Evan says, I'm going away for a while. Mom's having a hard time right now. Ethan says he doesn't want Evan to go, but Evan says it's for the best. She'll do better when she has one kid to take care of. You understand? Ethan asks where Evan's going. Evan says he'll figure it out. And for Ethan not to worry about it. I'll call you up sometime, okay? Evan walks down the street while Ethan uh, watches him go. Now, this exchange, right away, you can can really sense Ethan, the actor's lack of, of acting ability. But there's still a certain kid charm to it because i guess i guess the takeaway or for me is the caveat is if they're if you're not going to use actors then i'm glad you're using the appropriate aged kids then you know because nothing i hate more than a 40 year old playing like a 12 year old but you know i I like it here because it's actually playing their their correct age yeah yeah and i think in over the edge uh matt dylan was like 
maybe 17 or 18 years old, Vincent Spano, like the same age. And that was a different, you know, probably different budget, yada, 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 different factors into who they could hire or whatnot. But, uh, you know, this one had like authentic kids and, and yeah, he's not the greatest actor. They're not the greatest actors, but, but it's believable. I remember seeing kids in the eighties walking around like homeless kids that just ran away from home. Uh, my mom and I picked up two kids once by a mall that were, they, they were one, they were barefoot. They'd escaped a foster home. Uh, there was nothing wrong with the foster home. They just didn't want to live there anymore, according to them. And my mom and I drove them back. I was like, I was eight at the time, Jesus. you know, and this was like at 10 o'clock at night. And I don't eight, know what I was so, doing out. So you were, uh, it was like 85 then? 84, 85. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, wild. Wild, dude. And, like, underpass of a mall and just, you know, weird shit. Wow. Wow. Now, did you note that as Evan is walking, um, the Suburbia title card appeal appears like a giant red horror movie title over the shot of Evan walking through a quiet suburban neighborhood. And I think the, like the font of the title, the way suburbia looks, it almost, it's not blood splatter, but it almost sort of looks like it kind of, kind of like slashy font and everything. I think it's supposed to be a horror movie font like that. I think it's supposed to invoke feelings of horror. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think everything's intentional about this. We see a montage of him walking around the city at night while the uh, credits roll. Evan sits outside a restaurant in the city, and he watches kids walk by. One group of punks tells him to get a job, ironically, of course. Uh, He waits for them to walk past, and then he gets up and follows them towards uh, a music venue, uh, like a club. Inside, we see the punk band D.I. on stage telling people to move closer to the stage and have some fucking fun. I like those little moments where you could tell it's just... It's almost like a music video. You're just getting them candid moments. Yeah, yeah. Authentic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Outside, Evan walks past a bunch of kids in line and gets uh, to get into the show. Some of them are kids we'll get to know later. Inside, the band is playing a song about Richard hanging himself. <laughs> All the kids, including Evan, are now inside listening to the band. We see the manager explain to the lighting guy that if he sees anyone in the crowd go down to shine the light over there so the bouncers can find the trouble. As the band plays on, we see random shots of kids talking, pickpocketing, hanging out with a pet rat. That's Razzle, by the way. Uh, by the way, did you notice that Flea has a has a has an acting thing that he does in this movie where he'll make a face and he'll like, like smile or something and then he'll drop it to like a deadpan face and he kind of does it on purpose did you pick up on that i think yeah a little bit yeah yeah he's it's fun at at least he's doing something you know like at least he's thinking about his choices as opposed to most of these kids just seem uncomfortable in front of the camera reading their lines yeah that's why he stands out yes for sure skinner actually who's one of my favorite characters in the movie because uh, it's it's interesting because you see him on in all facets. You see him be a piece of shit, but you also see him being kind as well. I feel yep. like he, of all the kids in the movie, he's the most well-rounded. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, all these kids probably to some degree had like a level of, you know, uh, either bipolar, or depression, ADHD, or whatever. You know, be, before we diagnosed any of that stuff, and uh, and you know he probably had some anger management issues shit like that and uh 
and but with the proper therapy like being a being in a mentorship role like he was towards the end he's able to have a better outcome possibly yeah i don't know yeah I agree. I agree. And it, it is interesting to see him in that sort of uh, leadership. It's like him and uh, Jack are sort of the two leaders of the group, but they're also the oldest, you can tell. And they yeah. sort of balance each other out, they seem. Yeah. Skinner walks up to a girl in a pink dress that seems to be a bit nicer than what most of the other kids are wearing. He looks her up and down as she stares back. In the corner, Evan is drinking out of a yellow solo solo cup and talking to Keith. Keith asks if he wants any of his black triangle drugs. Evan says no, but doesn't see Keith drop one of them in his drink. Oh, Queef. Come on, dude. He, Don't be a dick. He's the worst character in the movie. Yep, he is. And I know character. I know people like that in high school. Just yeah. like s- shitty drug people, you yeah. know, where you get your street, whatever. You're, and they're probably, a lot of those kids came from like actually rich families. Yeah, of course they did. Of course they did, dude. Because where are they going to get the shit. money to buy the drugs or the equipment to make them and shit like that? Yeah, and they were hella popular in school and, like, you know, everyone wa- wanted to hang out with them because they were supplying them drugs and douchebags. Yeah, yeah, and as someone who— Fuck those guys. And as someone who does, you know, believe in, in the positivity of have, of doing some fun drugs and everything, there's nothing worse than somebody slipping you something and you not knowing. Yeah, yep, totally. total dick move right there. Yep. As the same song is playing, we cut back to Skinner talking to the girl in the pink dress. He says to her, I think I'd like to fuck your brains out. She says, oh, would you, huh? To which he replies as he's looking her up and down, yeah, but it doesn't look like you have any. It took the first time I didn't realize why he was picking on her. I think it's because she's a quote-unquote rich bitch at the club and she stands out, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> but this after he said that, I'm like, oh great, here we go. What's gonna happen? And I know, and, and here's here's the interesting thing. You you get to know Skinner at the beginning of the movie with one of the worst things that he's gonna do the entire movie. And so that informs you. I was like, Oh, he's the piece of shit. And then over the course of the movie, I'm like, Oh, no, he's not. It just just started us out on a really bad act, you know? He's an anti hero. There you go. So the girl in the pink dress pushes Skinner away, but he grabs a part of her outfit and rips it off. This causes everyone to start ripping off her clothes right in the middle of the crowd. She stands there screaming while the song keeps playing and everyone throws her own clothes at her. This is was really fucking hard to watch, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, it's it reminds me of like the scene in Street Trash when all the uh, homeless people are getting like raping this rich girl. It's like it's, you know, she's not like being penetrated, but it's It's close enough. Still rough to watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The song ends and the lead singer of the band yells out to the crowd to leave her alone. The manager comes to the stage and tells the crowd to knock it off. We see the guy with the stage light shine it on the naked girl in the crowd so the bouncers can go get her. The manager says if they want any more music to give her her clothes back. One of the bouncers swoops in and puts a towel around the girl and escorts her out of the crowd. As, as the manager is standing on stage and people are throwing shit at him, he says, the show's over. And he's, and he's like, this is fucking typical. Just fucking typical, you know. He's, yeah. You can tell he's sick of fucking, you know, catering to these fucking punk-ass kids, you know. Yep. Uh, the house lights comes on and so does the music as uh, all the kids start leaving the club. We see Evan laying face down on the club floor in a pool of his own vomit. 
One his, of the his own plastic vomit. Yeah, it is so fake vomit. I was like, ah, it looks like Spencer's. Like you bought it from Spencer's. Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny. Yeah, one of the bouncers picks him up and gets him outside. Outside of the club, we see Jack Diddley, Chris Peterson, Jack Diddley, Jack Diddley. Love that name, by the way. Drive up in his beat up car. He's fighting with a girl, and she's uh, she gets out of the passenger side and kicks the door. Jack gets out of the car to tell her not to kick it and sees Evan face down in the grass. So instead of like, you know, Skinner's horrible intro, we see Jack being really nice. He walks over to Evan and says, hey, kid, you're pretty fucked up, huh? To which Evan mumbles, mm-hmm. Jack asks if he needs a lift home, but Evan says he can't go home. Jack says you can't sleep in the grass. The snails will crawl on your face. He helps Evan over to his car. Evan asks what his name is, and he says Jack Diddley. We get a quick scene. We see uh, Jack's car in an empty parking lot in the valley. He has a tarp halfway on the roof of the car and is uh, securing more blankets inside. Evan says it looks like it's starting to rain. Jack replies, nah, that's just the acid rain that comes down every night about this time. Evan says, oh, yeah? Then we hear him throw up. Uh, but yeah, so far, you know, you like Jack right out of the gate. You don't like Skinner as much right out of the gate. Yeah, it's it's a nice introduction to, you know, one of the main characters of the movie. And also, like, where are we going with this? Who's Where are they going to go? Where are they going to end up? Right. Like, Is it going to be a road movie? What's, what's going to happen? And who are we following? Who's the main character? Because, you know, it's, it's an ensemble film. So, like, at first you really think it's going to be more of Evan's story. And then, you know, kind of focuses on Jack for a bit. Skinner gets his time. Joe Schmo gets his time. It becomes almost a full ensemble mo- movie where there's no real one point of view. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Hey everybody, I'm Tim. And I'm Dean. And we're the hosts of Talking Back. We're a retro-based podcast covering movies, comics, video games, and more. Check us out every Monday where we hit the rewind button and dig into some of our favorite content from the past. We like to keep things fun, lighthearted, and informative. Do you feel like you need more nostalgia in your life? Then check out Talking Back. We're available everywhere podcasts are found. I'm John, and I'm the host of Action Action. Every week, I'm joined by James. hey And Dustin. Hello. And each week, we review, debate, and rank a different action movie. We're creating the ultimate list of action movies. From awful to awesome. So if you want to hear three more white guys with beards talk about action movies. And argue about where they belong on our list. And decide you hate us because we've made fun of your favorite movie. Join us every Tuesday, and you can find us on your favorite podcatcher. And Steven Seagal is a joke. (laughs) And now, back to the show. The next day, Jack and Evan are driving around the valley. Jack asks, did you ever hear of a guy named Joe Schmo? Evan says he hasn't. Well, his old man's a homo, and he can't stand living there anymore, so we're going to go pick him up and take him out to the TR house. Evan asks what that is, and Jack says it's one of those houses out by the 605. County bought them up years ago and just let them sit there all boarded up and rotting. A bunch of us is living in one of them. It's pretty thrashed up but free. You up for it? Evan says it's not like he's got anywhere else to go. 
oh, the 80s when we could make gay jokes and uh, racist black jokes later on, too. And, and you know, that was just, hey, man, that was like what, what was kind of cool back then. You know, yeah. it's it's first spoiler. It was never cool and it's not OK. But yes, there was a time when um, I'm not totally familiar with this scene in particular, but I am f- familiar with knowing dudes threw that shit around like like it was just you, part of your normal vocabulary, yep. slamming people that were different than you. And it's so interesting that it's like these kids want to be different and be accepted for being different and who they are as individuals, but yet other different minorities groups get slammed all the time by them too. And should we talk about it now? Uh, you know, they make fun of the, the gay parents, Joe Schmo's gay parents, and the movie does nothing but show them in a positive light. Like, there's a scene later that shows them, you know, kind of holding each other, and maybe if it wasn't for the fact that the windows for the apartment were open, like, other than that, it seemed like a very loving relationship, you know? Uh, but the movie, the kids want you to think that it's, that it's you know, abhorrent and they don't like it. But the movie, honestly, doesn't show, uh, a, I think, a gay relationship negatively. I could be wrong, but I don't no. think it shows it in a negative light. And, Joe, and Joe's funny to me because I'm looking at him like, this kid probably, ha- he has a decent life probably. Yeah. And, uh, and he just doesn't like the fact that his dad's gay. And it's probably just and, because, you know, he gets picked on at school about that and everything. So Probably. You know. And then... Yeah, and then I thought, oh, did Billy Joe from uh, Green Day rip off his look? Because mm-hmm. he looks just like Billy Joe from Green Day. I know. Spoiler, I, I don't like Green Day. No, I'm not a Green Day fan either. Um, I'm just like, whatever. Because every time I saw Billy Joe, I was like, dude, you look you look like you're trying too hard with your look, right? When Green Day came on the scene, yeah. everybody's like, oh, my God, Dookie. And that's cool. Like, if you like Dookie, that's great. It's not for me. I'm not a fan of Green Day like at all and but but billy joe always felt like he was it just was like trying too hard to to me and then i see this and i'm like did billy joe totally rip off the kids look from suburbia yeah maybe yeah maybe and and by the way when everybody was listening to green day i was listening to uh white zombie allison chains and tool so me too and yep yep (laughs) and soundgarden yep We see Jack's car break down on the side of the road, <laughs> and he and Evan roll it to the side uh, and pop the hood. Two bike cops drive by looking at him. Jack says, keep going, fuckers. You know, he says under his breath. Then says to Evan, my old man's a cop. Well, my stepdad, my real father, ate it in Vietnam. My mom got married again. So there's a lot of Vietnam stuff in this, and I'm like, oh, man. And it's, it's. I mean, this is, I know Vietnam was a horrible war and everything, but, like, growing up in the 80s, it's kind of like, I mean, G.I. Joe characters had backgrounds from Vietnam. Like, for me, I have, God, this is a horrible statement. I have such nostalgia for Vietnam era. <laughs> you know what I mean, though, right? I know what you mean, because it, it was everywhere. Rambo, missing in action, every war movie because it was the last major war that we were involved in just like now you know black hawk down when black hawk down came out the war in afghanistan and iraq like that's those are the big wars the middle east wars you know three kings yeah shit like that which are all great war movies by the way in my opinion very much um it, it was just part of the and it was also a time when when war was filtered down to little kids you don't see that now no. well yes you do with like call of duty games 
Call of Duty games and shit like that. But yeah, I mean, it was it was glorified, glamorized. I mean, think about. I know you probably had it, Zach. Uh, remember that, <laughs> like that Army Commando uh, accessory pack that you could get. That I think even Rambo branded one that had you know a knife. It had a, a missile a, launcher, and it just had yeah, all kinds. Just yes, war was branded to kids. Hell, they made a Rambo cartoon back in uh, back in the eighties. So that should tell you everything. There's a Rambo big wheel, I, I think. Know. So he's because he's got like double guns on it or something. I think uh, Fred Savage had it in The Boy Who Could Fly, or he had a something. I thought that like was the GI Joe one, but yeah, that, yeah, that's right. It was the GI Joe one. But yeah, war. But who cares? Same things, guns. You know, war. What is it good for? Making a lot of money. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Evan says, "God, your dad, your stepdad's a cop." Jack says, "That's not the worst of it." Then he uses a screwdriver to open to turn on the car. He says he's black. Evan says a black cop. What a drag! As yeah, she, I'm like Jesus yeah, Christ. I know. And then again, another character that the kids make fun of, but the movie doesn't do anything but show that he's a nice, nice dude and infinitely patient with his stepson, trying to help. Just, just trying to help. Jack says that his stepdad came out to the TR house one night to check it out. He told everyone he was Jack's father, and they laughed him right out the door. Parents are so lame. (laughs) Evan pulls out his mom's diary. It was one of the books he grabbed when he was leaving the house. Evan starts reading from it. May 10th, 1968. Dear diary, Mark and I are going to be very happy here. The air is clean, the skies are blue, and all the houses are brand new and beautiful. They call it suburbia, and the word's perfect because it's the combination of the words suburb and utopia. As he's reading it, they're driving through the same type of suburban area she's talking about, but now 15 years later and run down. Jack says they didn't realize they'd be the slums of the future. Evan keeps reading, Oh, and by the way, we want to have a child soon. Suburbia is a great place for children. Jack scoffs at that notion. Evan continues, If it's a boy, we're going to name him Evan Mark Johnson. Evan looks at Jack and says, You know, sometimes I wish she would have had an abortion. Jack looks at him and says, They were illegal in those days. And he throws the diary out of his car's open sunroof and the pages go flying everywhere. Two things. One, every movie tells you its thesis within the first act. The fir- the thesis of this film is the statement that they that Jack says about the sub- suburbs being the slums of the future. That is the thesis of this entire uh, uh, film. Two, how shocked I was now that we're living in... <laughs> In 2022, with Roe v. Wade and all kinds of turmoil and everything, and here he is saying how, you know, oh man, abortions were legal back then, and guess what? Some people are trying to make them illegal again. Fuck, man. Like, everything comes full fucking circle within our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about banned books again. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) We're talking about banned books? You know, yeah. And uh, someone the other day is trying to get Columbus Day, like, was so upset that Columbus Day is called Indigenous Day in other some parts of the country. California being one of them, thank God. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, yeah, fuck. Columbus. Come on, people. Like, with 
we move forward in some ways and we take dramatic steps back in others. And um, or some no people wonder. try to make us take dramatic step back, but I think a lot we I think we're fighting to. back. So yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful. And being a parent, I think definitely forces me to be more optimistic because I have to be for him. Uh, but I mean, my God, like strange days indeed. <laughs> Strange things are upon us at the Circle K, for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they pull up behind a bus, and the black smoke from its exhaust covers the car. Jack asks Evan to hand him a bottle, a beer bottle. He drives up next to the bus and smashes the bottle against it. Jack says, yeah. I hate buses. Oh, I hate buses. <laughs> uh. Jack, I mean, come on. Like, I, I, th- this was a moment when I'm like, I get it. I know. I get it. You're angry at everything. Sometimes for no fucking reason. My, Come on. My my takeaway is, man, when you're uh, under 21 and you're stealing beers, that's a valuable thing you just threw against the bus. But to no shit. And also, you know, my brother did stuff like this. Like, he, I remember him. I'm going to throw him under the bus a little bit. <laughs> Eric doesn't walk, listen. <laughs> no, I remember he told me a story about how a kid was walking home from school and he just decided he got up on the roof of a house and started pissing on the kid. You know, Jesus, like, why, why, (laughs) you know, like what, 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 what is that? Was he eating pay chips or something as a kid? Like, my God, I love Eric, but my God, what a devil. I love my brother too. (laughs) I mean, he did the shit he did. Fucking little Loki, man. Fucking little Loki. (laughs) I know Ray, Ray's a listener of the show and a friend and I've known Ray since they were in high school together. They duct taped Ray like practically <laughs> naked and threw him God. in the trunk of a car. No. And he kicked the he had to kick the trunk out open and Go. he was like hopping down the street, duct taped. <laughs> God. And you know what? <laughs> but, but you know, late seventies, early eighties, that was quote unquote shenanigans. I don't I know. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> oh, Eric. Oh. <laughs> Uh, you know, he he was the kid in um, at school who would put fart bombs in the classroom and drop penises with uh, sharpies on the overhead projector and like sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh my shenanigans, God. shenanigans. Anyways, uh, now he's a valuable member of society though, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Eric. Uh, Jack and Evan arrive at an apartment complex in the valley. It's it's so it's so painfully a valley co- apartment complex, you know. I love it. It looks great. I love it. Uh, there are two men in their bathing suits by the pool. Jack asks where Joe is, and one of the dads says he's in the bedroom, but they can't wake him up. I thought he was going to be dead or something. Um, yeah, Jack I was and, nervous about that too. Yeah, me too. Jack and Evan walk into Joe's blacked out bedroom with red lights. He's laying in bed listening to music. Jack turns off the music and Joe wakes up. Outside, Evan, Jack, and Joe walk past Joe's two dads. He has a suitcase and one of the dads says, Moving out again, huh, Joe? Don't I even get a goodbye this time? Joe says, Later days. Yeah, it's really fucking, fucking weird, man. Fucking Joe. <laughs> fucking With Joe. his hair and his jacket. And then there's like a weird shot. Like oh, it's like weird music plays as one of the dads float out of frame on the raft of the pool. And I felt like that was like Penelope being like, see, 
I want you all to understand that they're deviants and there's something wrong with them. And I'm just, I'm just like, well, they, they didn't like yell at their kid. Uh, you know, and later on you see them like laying together and embracing each other. And I'm like, they seem like great parents to me. Maybe they should have fought for Joe not to leave, but this seems like he does it every other week. So I think at this point they were just like, we'll probably see him again. You know, I don't know, you know? Yeah. And then sometimes, I mean, look, I forget as as much as I the scene kills me in Boogie Nights when um uh when the mom when Dirk is when Eddie is leaving and becomes Dirk uh and is, he's having the drag out argument with his mom in his bedroom and she's like where are you going with all that stuff he's like I'm getting my stuff you know she's like this is not your stuff you did not buy this stuff so I'm looking at Joe with his outfit on and I'm like did your dad buy that? Did one of your dads buy that jacket for you? Did your one of your dads buy all that music for you? The suitcase with the shit yeah, in there? Yeah. Like that's who bought all that stuff? That's, you know? I, it's interesting watching this movie at for the first time at the age of yeah. 44 because yeah. I I I saw it's a lot of times in this movie I'm looking at both sides of the coin. I'm looking at you the parents, to. I'm looking at the the fucking cops point of view, but I I do think the movie does a good job of giving you the kids point of view as well. Well, yeah, and then one character in particular that we met but we'll meet her again in a different way had a horrible you know, parent situation, yeah. which is which also is very real too. So anyways, this movie also reminded me shades a little bit of uh, like river's edge. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to throw that out there too. I can, I can see that. I haven't haven't seen that since when that come out mid nineties. No, that was eighties as well. Okay. Mid eighties, early eighties. Then I, then I watched it mid nineties probably. My God though. Yeah. That movie haunting too. Yeah. So remember mosquito coast. I do. And there's a terrible Apple TV series that, like oh they rebooted it they rebooted it okay i saw that in the theater with my dad wasn't that harrison ford or something yeah river phoenix yeah 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 i saw it in the theater that was one i saw it once in the theater and that was it with my dad i think that movie came out like in 84 or something like that i was like one six of those years like old. fractured family movies yeah there's so many of those in the 80s i remember as a kid i'm like why am i watching this because <laughs> <laughs> it's harrison ford and it was like the height of indiana jones yeah. you know and then oh wait yeah he does movies like it's like when John Cena stuff. started doing shit that was like not you know kid friendly. Yeah, and uh, and you're like, wait, but John Cena's doing that? Well, he's also an actor too. So yeah, and Peacemaker is fantastic. And Peacemaker yeah. taught me that John Cena is one of the best actors of our time. <laughs> I'm not gonna disagree with that statement, but what a statement! <laughs> what a statement! I stand by it, baby. Jesus. <laughs> Cut to Jack getting off the freeway and driving through the abandoned neighborhood he was talking about earlier. By the way, where the house is in this whole neighborhood was demolished to make way for the 105 freeway. Oh. We see packs of roaming dogs. Evan asks about them and Jack says they're kind of nasty. You got to watch out for them. I heard they killed a little kid out here the other day. That also gives, that gives you like sort of a point of reference on time and location. Yeah. Joe asks where they came from. Jack says, I heard that when people were forced to move from their houses, uh, some of them left their dogs behind, and coyotes came down from the hills and fucked them. After a while, wild dogs. I also felt like this is like a metaphor for, you know, the kids. The kids are wild dogs. A wild pack of dogs. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. My question is, 
Like, was this based on a real thing? Now, I know that she, um, uh, you know, has gone on record to say that she mined a lot of stories from the local newspapers and inserted a lot of that into this movie. And I'm wondering if the dogs, the pack of wild dogs, is one of them. I wouldn't be surprised. It's one of those things where it seems too bizarre to be made up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Agreed. They drive to the house while one dog chases the car. Jack tells them to roll up the windows, but Evans won't roll all the way up. The dog tries to get in, but Jack drives away and says, flea bags. Uh, he goes, Razzle, one of the kids in the house, captured a couple of them. He thinks he can train them, but we think he's a little bit tweaked. Again, Razzle is uh, flea. Jack pulls up to the house, and he, Evan, and Joe walk in. Inside the house is full of kids, graffiti, and cockroaches. Joe puts his suitcase down and looks around. Evan posts up against a wall. Jack says he forgot something and goes back out to his car. We see Razzle sitting with his pet rat and Sheila getting a haircut from Dee. Evan looks at a cockroach on the ceiling, which causes Razzle to see it and shoot it with a slingshot. He looks at Evan and says, want to be next? Evan says, huh? Then Razzle says, a haircut. How about a haircut? So that's, that's kind of like flea shtick here. He, he acts like he's saying one thing and then he's kind of, it's, you'll understand it when you see it, but he is the best actor in the movie. Yeah. He's got like these dead eyes where you're not sure if he's serious or not. Yep. Uh, Evan says he just had one. So, and here's another thing about uh, the punk scene. They don't like long hair. So I'm as a, as a kid, I just assume punks like long hair. And as I get older, that's what I thought too. But I guess during this time frame, uh, having short hair was the punk factor because you see the adults, or at least um, Triplet and Skokes, they have longer hair. So that makes sense that the kids now, would, the punks to go against it, would be cutting their hair. Yeah, you know, like edgy, right? Super edgy. Like edgy hair. Joe's hair yeah. is kind of long. Joe's hair is kind of long. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's not all of them, you know, but some of them do. Yeah. Raz, Raz, Razzle says, you could have fooled me. Uh, then he makes a weird face at Evan. Uh, we see Jack looking in the refrigerator, which is covered with centerfolds, and says, uh, Slim Pickens. He looks at Evan and Joe and says, let's go. Joe walks up to him and asks who the girl is getting a haircut. Jack says it's Sheila. In the next room, Skinner and about nine other kids are watching TV. There's a commercial playing about a psychiatric hospital. Ah, before Reagan shut them all down. Skinner says, I know somebody who checked into one of those. It costs 800 bucks a week. Evan whispers something to Joe, but Skinner sees it and asks what he said. Evan replies, I said if you had 800 bucks a week, you probably wouldn't be depressed in the first place. Skinner laughs and asks what his name is. Evan tells him and Skinner says, you got to burn, Evan? Evan doesn't know what that is, and everyone in the room looks up at him. Jack motions for him to follow him, and Evan and Joe leave the room. Back in the kitchen, Evan asks what a burn is. Jack says that nobody can stay in the house unless they get a burn. He rolls up his sleeve, and it shows them a TR branding he has on his forearm. Joe says, Jesus, that'll be there your, all your life. Jack says that's the idea. If they didn't do this, they'd have all kinds of flakes hanging around the place. Evan asks what the TR stands for. Sheila says it stands for the rejected, which I think is cool. That's that's really yeah, neat. That's cool. Joe says it sounds pretty stupid to him. Evan says, stupid or not, I don't have anywhere else to go. Joe doesn't want to take any part in it, so he decides to leave. Jack asks if he wants him to drive him back, but Joe says he'll hitch. 
Sheila tells Joe to watch out for the big bad wolf, but Jack reminds him to watch out for the dogs. Jack turns on one of the burners on the stove and heats up a makeshift TR branding iron. We see Joe walking through the abandoned neighborhood. He hears Evan yell, ow, and looks back at the house, but he keeps walking. So I get the apprehension of Joe, but I also get where they're coming from, where they're like, we just don't want people to just come in and out. Like we want a, a commitment. It's, it's them. It's their way of saying, we want some kind of commitment that you're going to stay. Well, they want, they're trying to build their new family. Right. Right. And, you know, after watching, um, the whole cult story about Nexium with their branding and their, you know, women's, uh, pubic area, like, I'm like, oh, branding. Cool. That's such a great way to keep your uh your cult together not that this is a cult and it has nothing to do with this at all it just made me think of that that's the first thing i thought of as well the whole nexium thing um but like it's here it's weirdly it's a lot more innocent than i think the whole branding thing has become like later in history like like as moving forward from this point from 1983 i think it becomes a bit more severe here weirdly it has more of an innocent feeling to it Oh, yeah, and, and look, I knew kids in high school that were like, hey, you like my tattoo, man? I, my buddy did it in the in the garage with an ink pen the other day. Like, look how cool this is. And it's just like a, you know, it's a cool thing. It's like they're this perceived as being cool. Like, oh, look at this sick brand on me or whatever they would say. But look at this bitchin' brand, you know? Look how cool I am. I get that. And it's about creating this new family because they are the rejected Though, you know, not all of them are rejected. Some of them are rejected by choice. Yeah. And we don't know the backstory of all of them. We know the backstory of some, and some do come from horrible, broken homes, and some of them don't. Some of them come from homes that they just don't like. Yeah, uh, Jack. Like Jack, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that's it is what it is. Like, uh, there's always going to be kids like that, and, you know, Parents should accept their kids for who they are, but also it's like it's two way street, you know. So and then then that was also a time when parents were not as nearly as um, available. Yeah. Yeah. Communicative and emotionally available as they are now, especially fathers. So, um, you know, it was definitely a time when you were closed off. And maybe if you did come to your parents, they they didn't want anything to do with you because at, at that point they're like, it's not my job anymore to have to fucking I'm not going to treat you like a baby or whatever, you know? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's an interesting scene. It's super sad. And you're like, Oh my God, these people are living in like squalor. Um, and they're depressed and probably doing tons of drugs to get them through. Uh, well, if, or not. Yeah. I was going to say, but, but the that's, these are all the thoughts that I had the first watch at this point right here. But as you move forward with the movie and then on other watches, you realize at you know, at first it's all startling, but then you realize that they do have a family here and they do care about each other. And yeah, I, I yeah. really like that about it. Yeah, no, I mean I think initially as you're like introduced, you're like, Well, where are we going with this? And over the course of the next hour or so, you, you get the you realize that they're more than just, you know, the rejected. Yeah, exactly. Well well said, my friend. T R L Cut to Joe knocking on the door to his apartment. He yells for his dads to come and you know let him in, but uh, he gets no reply. He walks over to the window and sees his two dads naked on the ground holding each other. 
Good Joe times. walks away. Now, here's the thing. That Aside sucks. F- that would suck. <laughs> okay, okay. Yes, I get it. Maybe that's not appropriate. They weren't expecting him to come back. And yes, you shouldn't leave your apartment window like wide open like that. But if you take those things away, I don't know. It looked like a loving scene to me. Yeah, but if you're a teenage kid and seeing your parents, regardless of whether it's two dudes or whatever, you know. Right, or male yeah, and female, a mom and dad, yeah. It's just uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. As someone who unfortunately heard too much back in the day of my parents you know i'm like i didn't need to hear that stuff i didn't want to hear that stuff but i did hear that and it was just hearing it made me grossed me out so i can imagine seeing that oh my god see that thanks that's interesting we have two different perspectives because i never once uh heard or stumbled upon my parents or my my mom my stepdad (laughs) or my dad and my stepmom so i get i have no perspective on that whatsoever the the movie uh the stepfather came out with you know, Terry O'Quinn. Yeah. And there's a scene where he's having sex with the, his new wife and he's like holding her, <laughs> but they're having like such a weird kind of sex where they're like super, they're like super sweaty, but they're, and they're just like, he, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and the wife is like looking like she's enjoying it. But I remember it being quiet. I think that's, that's the scene. Like it's really uncomfortable, <laughs> uncomfortable sex. <laughs> and I'm like, I'd rather, want that to be happening in my house right now than hearing my mom and my stepdad. I'd rather have that as my stepdad situation. Oh my God. (laughs) So uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't have that perspective and I'm sorry for you. (laughs) And you're welcome. And you're you're welcome. You should be so thankful. (laughs) And that's why you're sleazy. I know I'm not. That's right. That's right. There you go. He's sleazy, and I'm not. Back to TRL. Back to TRL. With Cut Carson back to Daly. the TRL house later hey that night. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so Joe, Joe basically hitched home and then hitched back. Weirdly, that's one of the probably the most inconsistent thing in the entire movie as far as time goes. But or I say weirdly because the rest of the movie, I'd say, is pretty, like, consistent and and pretty realistic as far as its timing everything goes but we see joe he he walks back in and turns on the stove everyone's asleep sheila walks out of her bedroom and says you came back how come joe says i'll tell you about it someday if i ever get to know you better and i like that line and i like their little exchange and everything it gives a little bit more to joe's character yeah joe ha- joe grows on you he as does the movie goes on he does. Definitely grows on you, and you have a lot of sympathy for him. Agreed. Sheila asks if Joe's going to get a burn. He says, yeah. Sheila says she never thought twice about getting hers. Joe asks, why not? Because I have so many scars already. Joe asks, what kind of scars? Sheila lifts up the back of her shirt, and we see about 10 scars across her back. Joe asks what those are from. Sheila says, I'll tell you about it someday if I ever get to know you better. Joe smiles and then brands his forearm with the TR. This was probably one of my favorite exchanges, and I think probably one of the best written dialogue in the movie when they talk yeah. about getting to know you better and everything. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. And I'm watching this, and I'm like, man, I knew so many girls in high school where it was like, ooh, the troubled girl. That's the one I want to date. No, you don't. No, no, you don't. 
<laughs> I do love me some Sheila, though. Not going to lie. She's got that uh, short Billie Jean hair and everything. Oh, man. Oh, Sheila. Oh, man. I'm going to have to listen to that after we're done recording. <laughs> In the next room, we see Jack in bed listening to them talk. He smiles and goes back to sleep. The next day, the kids are woken to sounds of gunshots. Two vehicles with men in them are driving around shooting the wild dogs. We see dogs running, and then the way they pulled this off, then they get yanked back by a leash to sti- to simulate being shot. It looks really up. bad for the dogs because, you know, we're, we're seen from the side. So the car, like, you know, the camera sort of dollying with them, going with them, and the dog is running at full force in slow motion, and I'm like, why is there a leash on that dog? All of a sudden, that leash goes taut, and that dog's head goes straight to the ground, and they insert a gunshot sound. And I was like, oh, my God. And as, you know, a huge dog lover, this was, I I mean, PETA was not involved in this at all, I can guarantee you, because those dogs looked like they were actually hurt. Yeah, yeah. They look like they're hurting dogs. It's, it's a, it, to me, it's the most uncomfortable scene in the movie. I was like, nope, next, yeah. next, not cool. It's not cool. It's not cool. It's not cool, Jack. It's not sexy. Like, it's not. It's not sexy, Jack. I was just watching, um, like, I don't know, Lord of the Rings or something. Yeah, and and the, all the horses get taken out by orcs and shit. And like, that's all CGI. And granted, they didn't have that back then. I understand that, but still, like, you could have done one scene. A, I, I don't know, just less is more. You didn't have to show all that shit happened to those dogs. I counted three separate dogs, like dog actors, fucking take a dive. And I guarantee one of them got permanently hurt from that. Because they're going, you can tell they're going full force. And then they get yanked out by their fucking neck. Yeah, it's fucked up. It's terrible. And I, 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 I do not like the scene either. I mean, I like what it's doing, but I don't like what they did to make it. How about that? Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. Someone asks what's happening, and Jack says they're shooting the dogs. Razzle pops up and says they're not killing my dogs. He and Skinner run outside the house. We see Razzle and Skinner chasing their two Dobermans. They grab the dogs before two guys can get out of a blue El Camino-style car. I don't... Is that an El Camino? I I thought it was. I think so, yeah. Okay. It's it's a car. It's a hatchback car. uh, You know, a a truck bed car. So I... You know, cars that serve no purpose whatsoever because they couldn't carry shit yeah exactly like i don't the only car like that i know is the el camino i don't i didn't know if there's ever been another one i don't think there was but man what a what a waste of a car like well what's the point you know because you couldn't you couldn't they didn't have the 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 bed the bed wasn't uh they couldn't carry like a normal truckload yeah they did just you could put some clothes boxes back there and that was pretty much it yeah (laughs) yep but then I've seen some sick-looking El Caminos in my time. Yeah, like, all yes. tricked out and shit. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, me too. I mean, they do look pretty when you do them up and everything. So yes, uh, we're introduced as two Trumpers. Yeah, yes, yes. I'm yes, like, yes. wow, yeah. This, this, how times have not changed because we are kind of we have people like this now. Yeah, no, I'll probably call it out when I get a chance. But this movie is has some moments in it like like the abortion moment and everything that are just so powerful in 2022 or or applicable and or should i say still applicable in 2022 yeah who would have thought i saw it coming okay (laughs) what 
One of the men gives Skinner and Razzle some shit for how they're dressed. By the way, we'll find out later. It's it's Skokes and Triplet, the two guys' names. Uh, just when they're about to tussle, Razzle tells Skinner to save it for later. Cops are pulling up. They run off as the, as the cop car pulls up next to the El Camino. One of the officers is Jack's stepfather, Renard. He asks what the two guys are doing. We are out here doing our good Samaritan work for the day. Did you hear about the little boy that got killed by the dogs out here? Renard says he heard about it. One of the guys shoots one of the dogs on the ground that's already bleeding out, and the cop takes the gun from him. He goes, you got papers for these? The other guy says, officer, we're from the Citizens Against Crime. That's uh, Skokes says that. Renard's partner says to him, most citizens are against crime, sir. The question was, do you have papers for the guns? The driver of the El Camino hands Renard the papers. He looks at them and says, you know it's against the law to use firearms inside the city limits, don't you? The driver says they know that, but this side of the street is county property. Maybe if we decide to come back, we should inform the department, Officer Renard. I know what you're probably thinking. You just don't like private citizens doing your work for you. Renard says that's right. The driver then points at the TR house and asks, is that legal inside city limits? Renard says, we'll handle it, and unloads the clip from the gun and gives it back to the driver. Get a big kick out of shooting that dog, didn't you? I like that line, too. Yeah. As the cop walks away, the other guy says, yeah, it's kind of fun. We see all the kids watching from inside the house. Inside the police car, Renard's partner says the car parked in front of the TR house looks familiar. Renard says it should. It's the car I gave my son Jack last year when I bought my new one. It looks like he's fucked it up. His partner wants to check the house out, but Renard says he's more worried about the vigilante sharpshooters than he is about than he is about a bunch of teenagers in a crash pad. Renard and his partner drive off. So yeah, Renard has infinite patience for Jack. Yeah, it's a cool little scene that you get to know like some of these other characters and you do realize there's something else that's going to build. It's cool story, like character development as well. Yeah, you can tell they're setting these guys up to be the bad guys. Yeah. These two fucking, yeah, not rednecks, but uh, yeah, definitely right wing conservatives. Boys. Soon, you know, in, in 30 years, 40 years would be would be proud boys probably and everything. Yep. In no time they'd be like, Oh, well, yeah, every conspiracy theory you can think of now. So, Exactly. Cut to Jack, Skinner, and Evan driving through a different suburban neighborhood. We see Evan has a new haircut. Jack stops the car beside a a dead cat in the road, and Skinner gets out and picks it up. They keep driving until they spot a house with a garage that has its door open. They stop the car and start stealing canned food, cold food from the fridge, soda, and beer. Jack puts the dead cat into the dryer while Skinner spray paints TR on the fridge. Shenanigans. Yeah, it was so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's this. We're owed this. This is a dick move. Yeah. They run out to the car and drive off. Further down the street, uh, they stop at another house and do the same thing. This time, though, the owner sees them and starts fighting with Jack until Evan uses the fire extinguisher on him. They all jump in the car and leave the neighborhood laughing. I get it. I understand what they're doing, but I'm like, you know, it's it's a shame because this is like an unlikable moment for these kids. Yeah, exactly. Cut to a different neighborhood and a family is having a yard sale at the end of a cul-de-sac. 
We see our two vigilante sharpshooters from earlier. Their names are Skokes and Triplet. We see them standing by a trailer that weirdly has their names on it, and they are standing in front of their own names. It's kind of odd, but was also very helpful. Yes, very helpful, very helpful. And I'm also like, are they just BFFs? Is that what's going on? I think so, because I think they both worked at the GM plant. Uh, Triplet and Stokes are talking to a neighbor about buying their trailer. We find out they were laid off uh, from the GM plant after 14 years. Yeah, they're, they're dickheads. I mean, I feel bad for anyone who's fucking laid off after like 14 years. Like, what do you do? Like, that's fucking crazy. It doesn't give them any kind of reason to be the pieces of shit that they are. But at the same time, I, I feel bad for anyone who's laid off after that amount of time of dedicating 14 years of their lives to a company just to get laid off. Yeah, look, I, I've got family members. I've got an uncle who now lives up in Washington who worked for uh, Chrysler, I think, or, or GM for 20, 30 years or something like that. And my uncle Paul, I love that guy. I love that guy when he was when he was working there and living in Michigan. Super cool dude, funny, pulled some shenanigans back in the day. I'm sure, and, good old boy shenanigans. Yeah, but now he's like a, you know, a chemtrail believer 5g guy you know and i'm just like what the fuck happened to this guy what happened what what was the what was the flip switch that got flipped and turned this guy into a cuckoo brain yeah and that's where i look at like these two dudes who probably would just mind their own business no big deal but then when they lost their jobs whether it be depression or something it's like you flip that switch and i get it I don't like the people that do all the shit that are that's currently going on in the country, but there's a reason for them being that way. It's not just, oh, you're just a piece of shit. There's a reason for you being a piece of shit. Did you watch The Boys at all? I started to, and then it was like, I don't know, it got frustrating to me that I so many unlikable characters and I had to turn it off. Well, it's season three, they did a good job of like like in one episode taking the first like five minutes of the episode and, and following this character you've never seen before. Uh, and sh- it kind of like condensesly shows how they turn into like someone who shoots somebody because of, they think that they're, you know, they, they think they're a super villain, but it's really, it's, it's, you know, trying to make a statement about, you know, maybe you think they're illegals or something like that, but they do a good job of showing how social media and how all these things pushes these people in that direction. And I just say, fucking strengthen your mind, man. Fucking don't be so susceptible to, to what other people say, make your own thoughts, think critically, you know? I agree. I totally agree. And I don't, it doesn't justify who these people are, but Mm -mm. I guess in a weird way, it's like, what was that thing that, yeah. What was the tipping point? What made you become this? You know? Yeah. What, what, yeah. What, uh, what, uh, what do you call it? What fuse got popped in your brain and doesn't work anymore. Yeah. You need to replace that shit. Yes. (laughs) Not the old school screwing ones like from the seventies. Oh man. Oh shit. I remember those. Uh, Jack. Talking about me? I'm not talking about you, Randy Cosby. Go back, go back inside my head. Off to hell okay. you go. Here's the peel. No, I got one from Queef already. I mean Keef. Queef, Keef. Queef, Keef. <laughs> beep, beep. <laughs> Jack, Skinner, and Evan pull up to the yard sale. One of the ladies asks Jack if there's anything special he's looking for. Jack says, yeah, got any vibrators? Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're, I mean, they're still kids. They're still kids. Yeah. That was funny, too. Yeah. I liked it. 
Triplet and Skokes see them and start walking over. Jack and the guys get in the car and drive off while Skinner gives gives them the bird. Uh, Skokes throws his beer at him. Yeah, because cause flipping people off is so cool, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Back at the TR house, Jack, Skinner, and Evan spread out the garage raid hall all over the table. Everyone gets excited about the food. Outside, all the kids are hanging out in the front yard and watching TV and partying. Evan wants to go inside and get some water, but Skinner and Jack give him a beer instead. Skinner says the water's no good. Too many chemicals. Skinner says by the year 2000, the whole place is going to be a chemical wasteland. You know what? He's not fucking wrong. Not wrong. Nope. I think there was a report I saw on Reddit or something that like every they, they tested a bunch of umbilical cord fluids and they all had forever chemicals in them. Like, yeah, we're all just we're, we're being rotted out. So one kid in the group says my dad was in Vietnam and he had some of that Asian orange craps dumped on him. He had some adverse effects. Joe asks what his fingernails fell out, loss of sexual appetite and this. Kid takes off his false leg and throws it at Evan. Yeah. Everyone laughs as he falls over catching the leg. So you notice in a couple scenes and on the cover of the, the poster of the, the Blu-ray, there's a group of kids in this group that don't get featured throughout the film, but then get featured in small moments in the movie or are a part of them, all the whole gang walking down the street. And I'm like, I don't recognize like three of you from the rest of the movie. And I'll call it out in a second when, when that scene comes, but there's like three kids in the movie that appear randomly, but aren't throughout the entire film. And I wonder if she just sort of like lost them because they're not really like actors and stuff. There's no sort of way to force them to stay and everything. And just some of the kids might've just disappeared on her during the course of filming. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. And I, I justify it like, well, no, they were, they just weren't there that day. Right. But like, you know, like that, like there's like a tall kid when they're all walking together and like these two kids in the front aren't even in the, the rest of the movie, you know? So it yeah. is, it's weird. It's, it's not consistent. Yeah. It's not, it's not consistent. There's uh, people that come in and out. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, like the, the, the two sis, the two friends, the two girlfriends, they like get a huge kind of scene together, but then they're like not really around that much. Yeah. That much. Yeah. Joe asks uh, Jack about Sheila. He says she's weird because she's always staring at him. Jack this says, funny. Jack says that she hates sex. Joe doesn't understand how anyone can hate sex. Then he says she looks so sad all the time. Jack replies, those poor little rich bitches always look that way. Razzle told me she tried to kill herself a couple of times. He asked her why. She said, pick a reason. Sheila gets up and walks into the house. Razzle goes to the dog cage and lets the dogs out to eat. He tells them to sit, and they do. Razzle gets super excited about this. We see the kids having fun and joking with each other. Keef is passed out, or Queef is passed out in the grass, and the dogs are eating his food. Skinner picks him up and helps him into the house. He says that Keith needs to stop bringing dope around here. You're like some old 60s hippie dirt merchant. Keith says, groovy, man. Thanks for helping me out, brother. You must be a Pisces. You know, <laughs> you know but this these are the little moments that you realize, okay, Skinner isn't like the biggest piece of shit in the world, you know, and everything. And he's not like most of his, he, and he's not into drugs. Like, you know, he's actually pretty straight and narrow, I think, in that regard. 
Yeah. Yeah. He seems like he's like, what do you call it? Straight edge. Yeah. Right. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, but you know, he's still like does shit that, like we said earlier, everybody's an anti-hero. Yeah. They, they all have things that they do that make them not so great. Uh, but then at the end they, they kind of redeem themselves. Yeah. Agreed. As they're watching the news, a report comes on about a drunk driving accident earlier in the day involving Tina Johnson, Evan's mom. Three shoppers were injured, and the woman was booked on a felony drunk driving. Evan says, nice going, Mom. That night, we see Jack and Evan parked outside Evan's house. He's looking for Ethan and finds him eating dinner with a family next door. Evan gets Ethan's attention through the kitchen window, and a few moments later, Ethan comes running out of the house with his BB gun and jumps in Jack's car. He tells Evan to grab his big wheel. They speed off while a lady stands in the front door looking confused. In the car, Ethan asks if he has to go to school. Evan says, not for a while. Ethan says, all right. (laughs) Every kid's dream. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, that I'm like, oh, this shit, this nice family that took in this kid. And suddenly right. they're like, I guess we better call the cops. Right? Because now they're going to fucking get in trouble for losing the kid, you know? Yep. At the house the next day, we see Sheila give Ethan a mohawk haircut. Once she's done, he sits outside on his big wheel with his BB gun. Honestly, man, Ethan's great in this movie. I think he was fantastic as an actor. I think he should have done more, and he's a cool little kid with his fucking mohawk, man. Yeah, he looks cool. He reminds me of the kid in Lost Boys. Yes, little, yes. You know, the, laddie or whatever. Yep, yep. The the little brother, I guess. Well, it was. I don't think it was technically her little brother, but I think she kind of took him on as her little yeah. brother. Yeah. Laddie. Laddie. Cut to a slow motion shot of the whole TR gang walking down a rich suburban street. Now, this is when you'll notice there's two guys in this group that are in the middle of this ensemble cast, and you never see them again. And I almost think that this shot was filmed like probably one of the first things they filmed, and then they lost those two kids. They probably just never showed up one day and they kind of had to just make them disappear. But it is weird that sort of in, in, in the middle of this movie we get this, the, the the iconic shot. It's the They use it for the cover of the, the Blu-ray that's, you know, not the new cover. And it's and it features people who we, we will never see again. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's moments of this that almost feel like a documentary type, documentary style. What are the, cinema verite. You know, yeah. where... Uh, mm-hmm. And then, you know, they lost people. They lost people with no explanation. Speaking of cinema verite, remember the weirdest shot ever in My Best Fiend when the uh, photographer is laughing and then he stops laughing and just stares at the camera? Just stares. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. And we called it out on the uh, go listen to uh, My Best Fiend if you haven't listened to that review yet. <laughs> yeah, look up. It, you can, I'm sure if, if there's clips online, look up like Werner Herzog. Uh, German photographer, because he's a photographer. Yeah. It's such a weird scene. But anyways, yeah. so weird. Uh, we see a lady and her maid get out of a Cadillac, and we watch as the kids walk over the trunk of the car. And did you notice they did that? They're not dicks. They did that because the trunk of the car was in the was on the sidewalk still. Like she could have pulled the entire car further up but she left the trunk of it on the sidewalk and as someone who's had to walk around cars that are like fucking parked in the 
you know, like in L.A., when they, they the, the people will actually park their car or at the light, um, but they won't stay behind the crosswalk. They'll be, like, in the crosswalk. And, you know, as a pedestrian, you just fucking want to walk on their hood and say, fuck you. These kids actually fucking did it. Yeah. Yeah, I, na- nowadays it's the people that leave their uh, rentable scooters in, in on the sidewalk. Those where, pieces of shit, go fuck yourself. And so I get it. Like the the inner the inner rage person you have in you wants to pick it up, set it on fire, and throw it in the middle of the street. But then you realize, well, I wouldn't do that, and you walk around it, right? <laughs> but then there are the people that do do that, and you're like, ah, those are vandals. And you're like, well... I'm not justifying that at all, but you do understand that people do have breaking points. And so, yeah, kids walking down the street and he's probably annoyed as fuck and like, come on, you know, just have some awareness, people. Bro, when I left L.A. uh, about, well, I guess four years ago now, those fucking rented scooters were everywhere. They they trashed up the place so fucking much people just left them you know on the sidewalk everywhere i that was the worst idea humans have ever come up with yeah are they still going strong in santa monica oh yeah they're everywhere are they left everywhere too like all over the ground and shit sometimes they'll just be like laying in the front of our apartment complex yeah people are disgusting i'll be you know going on the street and the worst one one time was seeing a person in a wheelchair go down the street and, and there being a scooter in the middle of the sidewalk. And they had to roll back probably a good 20, 30 feet to the nearest sidewalk, go down or uh, go down the ramp, uh, the driveway ramp onto the main street to go into the road to go around the scooter. And I'm just like. Those are moments when you want to rage and set that thing on fire. Because the guy couldn't do anything about it. I remember seeing, I was like further down the street and just saw it happen. Yeah. Dude, if I was fucking mayor of of LA, I would ban those things immediately. Yeah. Too busy busting the police chief of LA because he's corrupt piece of shit too so this is the la cops value they they, they have a history Shocker. history of of massive corruption oh yeah because because you know things well here we it's a theme of the night things come back around yep yeah things always come back around the inside of jack's car is packed with kids as he's driving around looking for a house razzle points it out and jack pulls over all the kids get out of the car, including Skinner and D, who were in the trunk. That's funny. They all start picking up the freshly laid down lawn in strips and putting them in the car. Once they have stolen a huge chunk of the lawn, we cut to the TR kids carrying the strips of grass through a mall after hours. They put the lawn down in front of the closed Radio Shack store and watch TV on the indoor grass carpet that they created. We see Sheila and Joe kiss as they all watch a news special about what would happen to the cities if a nuclear war were to occur. Joe says to Sheila, tell me what happened to your back. She says, my dad used to beat me all the time. I think he was crazy. He would get this look in his eyes and I would know, uh-oh, trouble. I'd wake up at, I'd wake up in the night and he'd be touching me all over. He'd get turned on, you know? And instead of actually raping me, I think he'd stop himself by beating me up. Does that make any sense? Joe puts his arm around Sheila and kisses her. Now, I like this little throwaway scene with the grass. I think this that was kind of cool. I wish we saw like sort of more random stuff like that. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was funny, actually, where they... Because <laughs> I didn't know what they was, were doing at first, you know? Me, me neither. But it but it was cool what they did with it. And, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm looking at the mall, and I'm like, oh, what? trying to spot something specific, but I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. It was probably the mall where they shot uh, Slimeball Bowl Rom at. True, and like they're actually making a sequel to that right now. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Linnea Quigley is directing it, I think. <laughs> Not Linnea Quigley, Kelly Maroney. No, I don't think it's Kelly Maroney. I or think it's Brink it. Stevens is uh, directing That's it. right. Yeah. Thank you. Brink Stevens directing Kelly Maroney's starring in it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we might have to just watch it for the hell of it, you know? Yeah, she could come on the show if she doesn't want Char- to charge us. charge us for it. <laughs> Cut to Sheila and Joe making out in the back of the club we saw earlier in the movie. By the way, we'll see the same club three times. This is this is the second time. The entire TR gang is there, including Ethan, who is riding on Jack's shoulders as he walks through the crowd. I think my favorite moments of this movie are seeing them acting like friends and family together, like this, watching watching little Ethan on the back of Jack's shoulders. I'm like, I love that. I love how they're all helping everyone out, you know? Yeah, me too. That the, the film definitely picks up when these scenes happen. Agreed. On stage, TSOL is performing. At the end of the set, the lead singer whips the mic into the crowd and hits Skinner in the back of the head. Some random kid laughs at him and Skinner beats the crap out of him, starting another mosh pit fight. Skinner leaves the club in a huff. Evan asks him if he's okay, but Skinner just brushes him off. We see a gray Camaro drive up to the club and slow down. Two kids throw their beer bottles at the car and it drives off. As Skinner's walking through a neighborhood alone at night, the gray Camaro pulls up next to him and one of the guys says, Hey, what's that TR stand for? Totally ridiculous. (laughs) Skinner. These guys kind of remind me of the bad guys in the Wraith. If they were yeah, both, they also remind nuts. me of the dicks in um, Dazed and Confused. Yes, like yes. Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. Skinner gives them the bird, and they pull over and get out of this car and start fighting with him. The rest of the TR gang see Skinner getting beat on someone's front lawn and rush over to help him. A huge fight breaks out until the owner of the house comes out with a shotgun and tells everyone to get away from the house. The Camaro boys drive off and the TR gang go running back to the club. At the club, TSOL is still performing. Do you have any familiarity with TSOL? Yeah, yeah, I listened to them back in the day. I, I, I couldn't tell you what song, what cassette, but my brother had their shit. I feel like it was something that would... I, I mostly my brother had their stuff, so I would listen to that. Okay, I, I gotta say this band and this song is my favorite of of all three of them. I like this. Yeah, me one too. The best. Me too. They're cool. They're a really yeah. really cool punk band. I like their energy too on stage and everything. Yeah, agreed. The guys all huddle up on the floor around Skinner. Nathan asks what happened, and Skinner says just a bunch of guys looking for a fight. He doesn't think they'll come back to the club because it isn't their scene. But Evan warns uh, warns them that one of the guys had a knife. Skinner tells him not to worry. Wimps like that always carry knives. As TSOL keeps playing, we see the two Camaro boys walk into the entrance of the club. They walk up to the TR gang and are about to stab somebody when the bouncer walks in the way and gets stabbed in the kidney. That poor, unlucky poor bastard. Yep. He falls to the ground, holding his back, and the Camaro boys run out the front door. 
TSOL stops playing and everyone stands quietly around the bouncer as he lays there in a pool of blood and a spotlight on him. Evan grabs Ethan and, and they run outside. A slight time jump and we see everyone exiting the club and the police are patting them down. Two of the girls run up to Evan and tell him to take off his TR shirt. Everyone takes off any TR branding they have and walk down the street. As they do, they pass cops looking at a flyer for the show hung against a light post with a huge knife sticking out of it and the letters TR written in blood. Yeah, one thing I meant to point out earlier is that the lead singer of TSOL, he looks like uh, Billy Zane and Corey Feldman had a love child. He does. I can see that. (laughs) Good one, buddy. Way to put that one together. (laughs) Back at the TR house, Ethan is getting in bed while Sheila says, aren't you glad it's your turn to sleep in the bed? Then you see that she has like a sign with people's names on it. So, you know, they keep track of who gets to sleep in the bed. Ethan says he sure is. Sheila asks if Ethan misses his mom. He says he does, but he doesn't think she misses him because she used to always call him a pain in the ass. Sheila reassures Ethan that he's a good kid, and she hugs him. Razzle pops in and yells, Have you hugged your kid today? Which was a PSA thing back in the day. I remember it, you know. But yeah, me too. It is a dated thing that he says, you know, and he laughs. Razzle smiles and leaves the room. Again, another moment that I love because it shows that they're like a loving family and everything. Sheila starts reading Ethan the story of Hansel and Gretel as he falls asleep. Two of the other TR girls walk in and sit by the bed to listen. When Ethan falls asleep, they ask Sheila to keep reading them the story. As Sheila is reading the rest of the story, we see a montage of the kids in the house. Razzle is playing with his pet rat. Jack and Skinner are playing cards. Evan is fixing his hair in the bathroom while Keith while Keith is passed out on the floor. Queef. Queef. Is queefing on the floor. Queef is my favorite character. Yeah, I know yeah, yeah. he is. I know Randy he Cosby. is. Randy Cosby. Of course he is. Because <laughs> he's got the drugs. You, you guys got his phone number? I'd love to give him a call. <laughs> sure, you sure would. And that char- if that character was real, he's probably dead today. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, Randy Cosby is not. Is not. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, the TR gang is hanging out in front of a convenience store at a strip mall in the valley. D teaches uh, Ethan to clear his nose by closing one of the nostrils and blowing out so he keeps his sleeves clean. Yeah, that's cool, dude. It's so cool to do that, dude. Yeah, Snot bra. rockets. Snot rocket, brah. Yeah. The girls are asking for change, and Razzle is tagging TR on the window of the convenience store. Now, the only thing, I real quick, just roll back. I never understood, like... Were the Camaro kids, were they a different gang? Or were they just targeting sort of the TRs because probably their tags were around and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think they were just, you know, local kids who probably were like, this is our neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. I remember my brother was coming home from a party one night and he was getting someone, I think someone threw a beer bottle at their car. So they got out and they went to the guys and then the guys they were like, they just lived in the area and wanted to start shit with my brother and his friends and his two friends. And, uh, one guy hit my brother's friend over the head with a two by four. Jesus. And then, uh, the one, my one brother's friend left the one who was driving. He got in his car and left my brother and his friend and my brother who had long hair at the time was getting called the F word. And, uh, 
and they were throwing shit at my brother. And as my brother's carrying his friend home, so he so, carried him to the hospital. So this is like the warrior. So like he had to like fucking fight his way home essentially. Yeah. Like I guess they, they my, according to my brother, they, they, you know, they didn't like go after them, but they were throwing shit yeah, at him. They and, didn't like chase know. him down or anything. Yeah. But, but I remember my brother calling my mom they were at the hospital and my mom had to go down and left me at the home at, at home by myself, you know, and good times. Cause God. you know, some pieces of shit in the neighborhood were drunk and wanted to be dicks. Yeah. So Th- thus, which I feel like somebody's whole entire day. Yep. Yeah. And that's, you know, also explaining like these Camaro boys and being like, they're just dicks, local dicks, local fucking dicks, man. Yep. It's fucking Polychronopolis. Big fucking dick. Yep. <laughs> Polychronopolis. <laughs> Jack goes up to him and says that they aren't going to do that anymore. Razzle says, he can't help it. I've got a Jones. The owner of the convenience store walks out with his polio foot and tells them all to clear out. <laughs> that guy was ugly. There's no loitering allowed. <laughs> Skinner says they're uh, doing their shopping. The owner doesn't believe him and tells him to leave before he calls the police. And goes back inside the store. Razzle says the guy's an asshole. Saw him selling PCP to kids once. Razzle says they need some beer. Ethan doesn't like uh, beer, so D says for him to get some ice cream. Razzle, Jack, and Skinner go into the store, but before they do, Razzle tells them to walk like this, and they do a fake limp walk, mocking the store owner. Yep. I love how people now are like, you know, rightfully offended when people imitate other people with disabilities but disabilities but that shit was like people did that shit all the time in the 80s dude my doesn't make it okay but it did happen all the time guys and gals the worst thing i've ever done and i felt bad immediately doing it but i was in high school i was a young piece of shit i was very i was arrogant when i was a kid and uh we had some poor you know uh, a girl in our high school that didn't have a hand um, and it was like a birth defect type of thing. So every time, so one time she walked by and I said, cause Starship Troopers just came out and I said, Christ Rico, the bugs took my hand. And I think she heard me and I felt fucking terrible. <laughs> I felt Jesus horrible. Christ. I know. I know. I, I was Eric for that moment and I felt fucking terrible. Corey Stevenson running for president in 2024. <laughs> Watch, you'll get elected now because yeah. there's enough people who are like, yeah, that's a great fucking joke, dude. <laughs> Christ, Rico. Bunch took my a, hand. <laughs> but you're not a 50 some odd year old man making a joke like that. And, you know, no, I was like fucking 16 years old and a fucking asshole. So and, and I will admit <laughs> that I was an asshole. And if I could fucking time travel, I would fucking the moment I said that, I would pop out right behind myself and punch myself in the fucking kidneys because that's a I fucking mean, asshole thing to do. Yeah, kids are cruel. Kids, kids are, cruel. are cruel. Kids are cruel. Yeah. But, I mean, but there, I feel like <laughs> moments like that are necessary because I lean back on it and I'm like, I think back on that and I'm like, I don't want to ever make someone feel bad again. You know what I mean? No. So sometimes you need to make those mistakes in order to never make them again. Yeah, I mean, I was when I worked with autistic kids, uh, and I was working with people that were making fun of the kids when they That's weren't sad. working with them, That's and I'm sad. like, "What are you doing here?" Yeah, like, why are you there? Why are you? Because the money's not good, and it's really hard work. 
Really? Yeah. Don't God don't bring damn. that kind of energy either. You gross. know. Yeah. That's gross. One of them was Corey. No. <laughs> yeah. One of them was this asshole. No. <laughs> uh, the owner watches them grab a six pack of beer and walk back to the counter. He asks for their ID and tells them not to come back. He doesn't need their business. Razzle says okay, but he wants a blue slushy first. The beer in the slushy comes out to three twenty three. Holy shit! Inflation. Uh, they throw him the money, and nowadays that would like that six pack of beer would probably be like twelve dollars, and that slushy would be like four dollars now. My God, yeah, seriously. <laughs> wow. They throw him the money in change, so he has to bend over to pick it up. As he's doing this, Razzle dumps the blue slushy into a giant jar of, I think, pickled eggs that are on the counter and says, Happy Easter, asshole, and they walk out with the beer. <laughs> Outside, the boys walk past Skokes and Triplet, who are walking into the store. The owner comes out and tells, tells them, Skokes and Triplet, that these little bastards fucked up his store. Skokes says, scum of the earth, and spits on the ground. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it. Hey, everyone. Co-host Corey here. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. Without you, podcasting after dark would not be possible. If you would like to help the show grow, please consider signing up at patreon.com slash podcasting after dark. You can also support the show by purchasing one of our awesome t-shirt designs on our merch store at podcastingafterdark.com or by picking up a copy of Seven Winters Alone by David Irons on paperback, hardback, or Kindle. Just search for Seven Winters Alone on Amazon or click on the link in the show notes. A free way to help out is to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Those reviews are huge for us and really helps get the show in front of new listeners. Again, thank you all so much for the love and support you've given us over these past few years. It really means the world to us. And now, back to the show. Cut to the locals' Elks Lodge. <laughs> we see there's a sign out front that says, Citizens Against Crime. Um, sir, most most citizens are against crime. Stokes, <laughs> Stokes is by the door smoking a cigarette, blowing smoke rings. Gotta say, impressive. I was very impressed by those smoke rings. Uh, yep. I I mean, he didn't make it into a dragon, but he's there's only one Gandalf. <laughs> there is only one Gandalf. <laughs> Officer Renard walks through the door past him. Inside the hall, people are complaining about the violence happening in their neighborhoods and how the police aren't doing a thing about it. Triplet stands up and says that it just so happens that they have a member of the police department with them tonight. Officer Renard stands up and says they have reports of vandalism and robberies just like any other city, uh, and they follow up on each and every one of them. 
The guy whose uh, front lawn was fought on the previous night says it took the police three hours to get there. Renard says they have to follow procedures, but uh, is met with backlash. Three hours, by the way, to get there? That's pretty fucking crazy. Yep. Another guy says he has to have the wall of his store repainted every month or so because there's a TR sprayed on it. What the hell does TR even mean? Everyone starts sort of talking to each other. We see a young blonde girl talking to her dad. It's the girl in the pink dress that got attacked at the club. The dad says, Sandra says there was a stabbing recently at the club she was molested and that those same letters were left near the weapon in blood. Triplet says to Renard, did you investigate the house like you said you would? Renard says not yet, and Triplet says he has a feeling Renard isn't doing his job. Renard shoots back, and I get the feeling you're using innocent people as scapegoats. Stokes stands up and says, they're talking about a, about a bunch of sickos. Triplet adds, mental rejects running wild on our streets. Renard reminds them, we're talking about kids, kids like yours and mine. The priest tries to calm them down. Renard says he knows times are tough, but Triplet cuts him off saying that if the police can't protect the people, then the people have to protect themselves. This is, again, all this sounds familiar. Renard yeah. asks if they're going to take the law into their own hands, and Triplet says if that's what it comes to, they stare at each other while weird dramatic music plays in the background, and the scene ends. It's all re- all relatable shit right now. Yes, it is. Cut to Renard getting out of his car at the TR house. As he's walking up to the house... Ethan comes out with his BB gun, tells him to identify himself. Renard says his name is Bill and asks where Jack is. Ethan says he's inside peeling potatoes. Renard walks into the kitchen and clears his throat. Jack looks up from his potatoes and says, perfect, what are you doing here? Renard says he has to talk to him and the whole group of the kids. They walk back into the TV room together. And I do like the fact that, like, everyone pitches in to, like, cook. And you do see, after they do their garage run for the rest of the movie, you do see them eating the food that they got. They didn't, like, blow it all in one go. And, yes, we both agree that maybe tagging someone's, you know, refrigerator sucks and throwing a dead cat into the dryer sucks. But I think the food was necessary. I think they need it. You know, they really need it. And they do seem to make it last, too. Yeah, yeah. And we don't, uh, you know, they're going into rich neighborhoods, so... I think you're meant to assume like people have too much to begin with anyways. If you've got an extra refrigerator in your, in your garage, then you've got plenty of food inside the house. And so maybe there's a way of, there's always a way to justify the actions. It's just also like, come on. Yeah. It's not cool. It's not, it's not cool. Not cool, Jack. Yeah. It's not cool or sexy. (laughs) Everyone is watching a workout video. Renard says, hi, I'm Jack's father. Jack corrects him, stepfather. (laughs) Evan says, you're a cop. And Renard says, yes, I am, but that's not why I'm here to talk to you. Half of the kids in the room get up and leave. Renard goes on, you kids are making pretty bad reputation for yourselves. Last night I was at a meeting, and, well, you've got people coming down on you. All that's left in the room is Evan, Skinner, Jack, Dee, and another girl. Renard who's now standing in the hallway and, and, and all the bedroom doors are closed. He says, you're going to have to listen up sooner or later. I'm not leaving until you do. What do I have to do for Christ's sakes? Pay you? And then all the bedroom doors open and the kids poke their heads out. Cut to a pile of random money by Renard's feet. And he's sitting on a chair talking to the kids. 
I think that it's best for you to all go back to your homes until this blows over. Skinner says, most of us don't have homes to go back to. Razzle says his parents are dopers and the state won't let him, won't even let him go home. Renard asks, don't you want to make anything of yourself? Skinner replies, what's to make? And then Renard's like, families, careers, college? Evan scoffs and says, everyone knows families don't work. And, yeah. of course, that would be uh, Evan's perspective, you know? Yeah. Skinner says, college? Most of us can't afford lunch in high school. Renard asks what they do for money, and Skinner says, take bribe off of, take bribes off cops. <laughs> that was good. Everyone laughs. I laugh. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> the kids start asking him not to take them from their home. It's slightly mocking, but weirdly also sincere. Evan says, this is the best home most of us have had. Skinner adds, if we don't have each other, we won't have anything. Renard shakes his head and says, look, you're going to have to stay out of trouble. If you don't, someone's going to get hurt. Everyone's got guns these days, and they're just itching to use them. Jesus Christ. I, I wrote that quote down. I wrote that quote down because I'm like, oh, wow. And fast forward 40, 40 years, years later. And everyone yep. now has more guns, and they're itching to use them. Yep. Wow. <laughs> he goes, let, let this be the last I hear of TR. Skinner says to the rest of the kids, maybe we should get guns too. Oh, and Renard gets up and leaves. Ethan says he already has a gun. Joe walks over to Sheila and tells her not to be worried. Cut to later that night, we see Triplet and Skokes driving their El Camino through the TR neighborhood. Everyone in the house is asleep as they drive up next to it and sneak in through the back. As Triplet and Skokes look around the house, Sheila walks out of the bathroom and sees them. She tries to run away, but they grab her and tear her shirt off. Skokes grabs her and all three of them walk into the den where most of the kids are sleeping. Joe gets up to help Sheila, but Triplet kicks him to the ground. Skinner stands up, but Triplet shows him his gun. Jack runs out from his room and joins them. Skinner asks what they want. Triplet says, we want to let you know we're sick of your shit. This is what you might call a warning. Well, I mean, it is a warning. It's not what you might call a warning. It is a warning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if there's any more trouble from you creeps, some heads are going to roll. Sheila bites Skokes' finger, and he throws her to the ground. Joe runs to her side. Triplet goes on. Next time, we'll do more than tear off someone's shirt. Triplet and Skokes leave the house, and everyone is stunned. Not going to lie, knowing that Sheila is not an actress and that she's never done anything after this, kind of uncomfortable to see her boobs because I don't feel like she knew what she was doing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, we've heard enough exploitative stories throughout the years, and it's uncomfortable. But at least the sure. director's a female, right, I guess? I I mean, like, to me, it's like, doesn't matter yeah. if she's a male or female that uh it's still like come on i i guess she could have had a bra she you know what like she could have had a tank top on her underneath yeah or something yeah and i would have done that and when i say at least it was a female director it's me saying that in hopes that the, the female director would have more of a consideration you know yeah totally totally and uh, you know yeah exploitation's a weird thing i like i feel like you can go hard and make it uncomfortable without making it uncomfortable you know what I mean? Yeah, I 
do know what you mean. And I think because we're talking about like the actors versus the story and everything. Yeah. And this this felt exploitative in the wrong way. Yeah. The next day, we see Ethan riding his big wheel outside the house. Inside, we see everyone going about their morning routines. Skinner is walking around the house angrily looking for his yellow shirt. He fights with Jack and Evan about it. At the same time, Stoner Keefe is looking for his black triangle drugs. He says it's not where he hid it. Skinner goes crashing through the house looking for his yellow shirt and ends up farting on some poor kid in a sleeping bag. <laughs> when the kid groans, Skinner says, my sentiments precisely. That was, I thought that was funny. Skinner eventually comes to a locked door that he busts open. Inside, he finds the body of Sheila in bed. She's pale. And not in a good way. Like, it's it's definitely, like, makeup pale. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, yeah. But you, I get it. Like, we both get it. Like, at the time, no one had 62-inch LED TVs and a Blu-ray. You know what I mean? Like, nope. I get that Penelope was like, we got to really play up the fact that she's dead and, you know, what's going to what's gonna be visual? Like, what's going to track visually, you know? Yes. Skinner slowly walks over to her and checks her pulse, but quickly pulls his hand away. He looks around the room and finds Keefe's drug bottle next to her bed. Skinner punches the mirror as he leaves the room, then kicks holes in the wall. When Keefe asks what's going on, Skinner punches him in the face, knocking him down. You and your stupid dope. This is what I think of your dope. And he starts raining blows down upon Keefe until Jack and Evan tackle him. Razzle helps keep up. Razzle helps Keefe up, and everyone asks Skinner why he attacked him. He says, Sheila's dead. That's what happened to your stupid dope. Just then, Joe walks through the door and asks, what? Skinner repeats himself, and Joe goes running to check on her. In the room, the two girls are sitting by Sheila's body. Joe kisses her on the head. And, you know, Joe... He starts becoming more central now at this point, and his acting chops can't really do what needs to be done. But at this point, I'm totally invested, so I do care and I do feel something. Yeah, I feel bad too. It's it's there. There had to be a tragic. There has to be a tragic character in this movie, and unfortunately, Sheila, from the onset, you knew she was going to be the one. Yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah, ever since that little baby in her care got eaten. <laughs> you let a little baby die in your watch, you ain't going to make it too far in life. Nah, I don't think so, man. I don't think that's so. What, that's, that's, the, that's a golden rule. Yeah. It's one, it's one to grow on, son. <laughs> There's a slight time lapse, and all the kids are, on, are in the TV room, the den. Joe has a note from Sheila that he is reading to everyone. To my friends... Don't be mad at me for doing this, but I really don't want to stick around any longer. I'm sorry. I hope all of you have fun with your lives. The time I've lived with you was the best part of my life. Thanks. I love you all, especially Joe. Gone forever, Sheila. P.S. I hope you don't have to move. Skinner is pacing and scoffs. That's funny. Hope you don't have to move. Jack asks what they're going to do. Evan says, don't you think we should let her parents know? Everyone starts debating if they should call the cops, and they start yelling at Keefe for being a druggie. Keefe leaves the room as everyone is still fighting, then Skinner says, let's just take her home. 
One of the girls says she knows where Sheila's parents live. And one thing I do like about this movie is it's in as far as realism goes, they all yell at Keith. He gets up and leaves. But like another movie would have probably followed Keith and maybe he would have committed suicide or something later. But it kind of doesn't really go anywhere because it doesn't sometimes in life conversations, things happen and you walk away and it just the camera doesn't follow you. You know what, you yeah. know what I mean? Like sometimes things just don't go somewhere. Yeah, agreed. And I like the way this scene is shot. I like the way it looks. Cut to the entire TR gang standing on the lawn in front of a nice upper middle class house. Skinner, Jack, and Joe are at the front door. Skinner is holding Sheila's body wrapped in a blanket. Sheila's dad answers the door. Jack says, We're sorry to tell you this, but Sheila killed herself. The dad asks if this is a joke. Jack says, No, it's not. Please take her. We don't know what else to do. He looks at the body Skinner is holding. Joe says they'd like to go to the funeral. Sheila's dad looks at what Skinner is holding and says, oh my God. And this is a great scene. And I think, yeah, the dad's a piece of shit, but I think he's actually a good actor here. Because I think yeah. he, you can tell he's like trying not, you can tell the character knows what he's looking at, but doesn't want to accept it. So he doesn't, you know, until he gets that, you know, you can't, get past it and that's when he sort of looks at the, the what Skinner's holding and he's like oh my god and you can tell the guy kid playing Skinner you can tell that's probably either Sheila or another person in there because he's straining to hold an actual person up you know the whole time oh yeah but this scene was cool and I like the way the kids were all standing out in the yard and everything I wouldn't be surprised if, if the actual actor was underneath the blanket Sheila yeah for realism yeah probably did you have any thoughts on this one on this scene no well it's 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 makes sense what they do like it because we're getting towards the end of the movie and you're already feeling like okay shit's hitting the fan like is this going to be the moment that they decide we've got to do things differently around here yeah but then i also know like i mean how many songs like the opening song in the movie what is it by uh di you know like singing about a guy who hung himself yeah. so there's so many punk songs about friends that got killed or killed themselves you know henry rollins has a famous uh you know spoken word story about his best friend that he that uh that he and his his best friend getting murdered while he was there and uh you know like this shit goes down and then they make songs about it poetry about it and movies about it yeah. so beautiful man yeah i mean the, a lot of these punks and everything, they're they're also artists too, you know. And I think uh, I think actually probably more than not, you know, like our creatives and everything, and society yeah. just doesn't know what to do sometimes with creatives. So true, still doesn't. I no, still doesn't. Cut to the Abbott and Hast funeral home in Silver Lake. This one I actually looked up because I was like, ah, because you could see the name and everything. So like, you got to be able to find it still. Is it real? Yeah. Um. Well, it was listed on the IMDb credits and they said it was in Silver Lake. So okay. I was like, okay, cool. We see a memorial service for Sheila. It's packed with both her family of normies and punk friends in the back. The TR gang are, and this is, this is important. The TR gang are quiet and respectful. But that doesn't stop the dad from walking over to them and telling them to leave. Joe asks, how come? The dad says, please, just do as we ask. My wife's really upset. Jack says, we aren't feeling that great either. Believe me, we understand. 
The father keeps pressing and Joe shoots back, but we don't want to leave. The dad raises his voice and says, but you have to. I mean, look at you. One of the girls says they didn't have any nice clothes to wear and she's sorry. The dad says, why don't you just visit the grave after we've left? Joe stands up and gets in the dad's face. Sheila was our friend and we have every right to be here if we want to. We're staying. Evan asks why the family can't just ignore them. They're all all the way in the back. The dad says they can't ignore them. Everyone in the front is looking back at the heated conversation now. The dad says, we didn't like you when Sheila was alive and we don't like you now. If it weren't for you, she'd probably be alive. Joe really gets it in his face now and says, no, asshole. If it wasn't for you, she'd still be alive. Sheila told me all about you. She told me how you couldn't keep your hands off of her. Now everyone's really listening. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. Joe goes on. You molested your own daughter, you scumbag, and then you beat her up. She showed me the scars. You're a fucking asshole. And this is this is when you're really on Joe's, on Joe's side here. Oh, yeah. Now the dad grabs Joe and everyone in the TR gang stands up. Skinner gets between the dad and Joe and punches the dad out, knocking him to the ground. A full-on brawl breaks out at the service between the family and the TRs while the legend of Pat Brown by the Vandals starts playing. We see the dad has a bloody face on the floor. The TR gang run out of the funeral home and down the street. And and so, yeah, like, seriously, man, like, I, I think the big takeaway from this scene is they were being nice and respectful. They they were being totally fine, and they were they got shat on by the family. Yeah, and this sums up why so so many people feel like outcasts because they're not accepted by society. Yep. And just like yeah, they had every right to be there. I'm I'm on yeah, Joe. We're it, all it on Joe's it, side. Yeah, they do they do a good job as this movie unfolds. Like you know, there's moments when you have don't have compassion for these groups, these guys. And then you do towards the end. You do wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly. This movie takes you at first. You're kind of sort of scared of them. You're not quite sure to make of them. Skinner's kind of an asshole, but then yeah, as, as time goes by, you see, they are a family unit for better or worse. You know, they're human beings. And I think she does a Penelope does a great job of, um, really giving some of these characters, some real fleshed outness, you know? Yeah. Cut to the same club we've seen twice before, and the Vandals are playing on stage as a mosh pit breaks out on the floor and people stage dive. Outside, we see Renard and his partner pull up in their squad car. Evan is walking by, and Renard says over the car's loudspeaker, Hey, you, TR, come here. And Evan turns around and walks over. Renard is looking for Jack, and Evan says he's probably inside. Renard tells him to go get Jack and bring his ass back right now. Inside, we see Jack as part of the mosh pit. Evan makes his way to Jack and delivers the message. Outside, Jack and the entire TR gang walk out of the club and over to Renard. Jack knows why he's there and says, We went to our friend's funeral, right? Renard says, And beat the shit out of your friend's father. He's in the hospital, in case you don't know. This time you bit off more than you can chew. Someone's going to stop you. Renard says he isn't going to arrest anyone but he does want them to get out of the house. Dude, Renard has given them so much slack. So much. And if they don't leave, someone's going to get hurt. He wants them all to pack up their things and get out tonight. Renard says he'll be out there in a few hours to make sure they're gone. As the TR gang go back in the club, Renard says to Jack, you could come home, you know. Your mother would like that. Jack scoffs and walks back in the club. 
I think now my takeaway was Jack was waiting for Renard to say we would both like that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that that would have been an even better approach. Mm-hmm. It's always that thing you didn't say that gets held over your head versus the things you do say. Right. You know, right. <laughs> it's like, come on, trying here. Yeah. The lack of something, even artwork, uh, uh, negative space and everything can be is a very powerful tool. Um, the lack of anything can be a very powerful tool. Yeah. Cut to the Kit Kat Club in Hollywood. Been there. <laughs> I think I have, too. And a busty stripper is dancing very awkwardly for Triplet and his friends. It's really uncomfortable. She does some weird hand movements that I am not feeling or getting. She looks very, very awkward and uncomfortable. Yes. (laughs) I love how Triplet calls out, I like your personality. (laughs) At the TR house, we see all the kids packing their things up into boxes. They're all upset about having to move. Jack asks what Joe's going to do, and he says, go home, I guess. Fag City, what about you? Jack says he doesn't know and unplugs the TV and walks out with it. Razzle walks into the room and says he has an idea. He's going to siphon some gas out of Jack's car. Then right before they leave, he'll set the whole place on fire. It'll be fun to watch it burn. Probably would be. Back at the Kit Kat Club, Skokes joins Triplet and says he's been looking all over for him. He takes Triplet to the side and says that the kids busted in and raided the funeral home of one of their friends earlier that day. Skokes says they tore the place apart. Yeah. This, this gets Triplet fired up. And I do like how we hear that the story is a little bit changed, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, manipulating the facts to justify the actions. It's, it's human nature since the dawn of time. Oh, it's like. It's like, we don't do that anymore, do we? (laughs) (laughs) Did someone say manipulation? (laughs) I'm really good at that. I know you are, Randy Cosby. It's almost as if... Just ask Tina. (laughs) Just ask Tina. Jesus Christ. Dude, I'm not going to lie, man. Suburbia is like one of the most relevant movies we've... and That was made in the 80s, the early 80s. It is the most relevant movie we've watched probably ever. Robert Ortiz is sitting back right now going... Yup. <laughs> Cut to Razzle sucking gasoline out of Jack's car. Skinner's next to him and seems to be inspired. He goes back inside and says to everyone, what the fuck are we doing? I don't know about you, but there's no way anyone's going to make me leave this place. Jack says, Tom, wake up and smell the coffee, man. It's hopeless. Hey, you find, you find out Skinner's name is Tom at the very end of the film. Right. Skinner says, your old man only wants us to leave because he doesn't think we can take care of ourselves. That's bullshit. We're smarter than these assholes. They are, actually. Jack says his old man is coming back later, and if they're still there, he's going to shit Twinkies. Cut back to Skokes and Triplet at the club, still talking about the funeral home while the stripper dances for them. Awkwardly, again. (laughs) Yes, it's very awkward. Cut back to the house, and uh, Keith asks Jack, what's it, what's it going to be? Razzle comes running in with his can of gasoline, asking for a match. Jack says, save it, Razzle. We're staying. At the club, Triple says they're going to have to go back out there. Skokes agrees, and they walk out. Cut to Triplet and Skokes driving their El Camino up to the house. This is the climax, guys. Literally, three, five minutes left in the movie. Yes. We see Evan is on the roof, and he spots them. 
He uses a pipe to pound on the roof to let the kids know, then hops off the roof with Jack's assistance. Jack jumps into his car and slowly backs it around to the other side of the house with his headlights off. And they are smarter than Skokes and Triplet because they had their headlights on. Right. Skokes and Triplet get out of their car and both have guns. The former has a shotgun. As they walk up to the front of the house, the lights turn on and Razzle gets the two Dobermans out of their kennel. They go after the men, causing Skokes to trip and drop his gun. Triplet runs to Jack's car with the dogs in pursuit, which is actually very true because he runs dogs that's going to kick in their chase instincts, whereas yep. Skokes fell, you know. Evan and Joe is just, by the way, if you're ever if you're ever coming to a dog that's aggressive like that, don't run from it. It'll kick nope. in its uh, instincts. Evan and Joe run out of the house and grab Skokes. He fights them off and picks up his shotgun while Triplet ta- locks himself in Jack's car. Skokes cocks his gun and aims his shotgun at the kids, but Jack tackles him from the side, causing Skokes to fire the gun in the air. Jack beats the crap out of him, then goes to his car while everyone piles on top of Skokes. They spray paint his face. At the car, Skinner and Jack are trying to get in, but Triplet starts the car and drives in and drives into the swing set and tries to get out of the car. As he does, one of the girls uses a pot to scoop up a heap a heaping of smoldering ash from the fire pit and tosses the embers in his face. That's awesome. Yeah. Jack now beats the crap out of Triplet as the rest of the kids run out of the house and start trashing the El Camino. Skokes gets to his feet, but he looks like shit. As the kids are trashing the car, Razzle finds a pistol inside. I track that, but it doesn't go anywhere. Well, yeah, because I'm like, when's the cover of the art? Where the cover of the VHS uh, art gonna come into play with the guys with the guns? And when's that gonna happen? (laughs) Spoiler alert: Never, never. (laughs) Jinx, one, two, three. You owe me a coke. Gladly, my friend. Gladly. (laughs) Back over at the Jack Triplet match, uh, the latter gets in a kick to the groin and runs back to the El Camino and gets into the driver's seat. As he's pulling away, we see him open the door for Skokes uh, and he gets in the passenger side. We see that Ethan is the last kid to leave the house and comes outside. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Did not see this coming. Nope. Triplet and Skokes are driving away as the kids chase them from their lawn. They're all proud of what they did. Ethan laughs and gets on his big wheel. We see Triplet turn the car around and speed right towards the kids. Everyone clears a path out of the way, but Ethan doesn't see the car, and Triplet hits him, sending him over the hood and into the windshield. In the car, we get a great shot of Ethan dead with his eyes open looking at Triplet. He backs the car up and Ethan's dead body rolls off as everyone is in shock, including the two men. The music starts to play as Renard's car drives up with its lights on. Evan runs over to Ethan's body and holds him. The camera cranes up and we see all the kids standing around Evan and Ethan while the while the cops stop the El Camino from leaving. Credits roll. Wow. This movie is bookended in the beginning and the end by kids 
fucking dying horribly. Dude, the the Ethan kill is one of the best kid deaths. Well, the blob, probably the best when the kid in the sewer gets it. Oh, yeah. But, like, one of the best kid deaths I've ever seen. When he is in the window with the shattered when his head breaks the window, and he's looking, just dead eyes looking at them with blood on his face. Fucking disturbing, bro. Yeah, there's... there's there was a there was a kid death in the Toxic Avenger in the beginning of the movie when the the the, the main bad guys go off on a run and like you know they're they get points for how many people they kill mm. and there's a kid like he's like bye mom he gets on his bike and he rides off and it's so sad because they hit the kid and they're like you don't get bonus you don't get the full points if he's not dead and they back over his head and it's, <laughs> it's disturbing it's fucking trauma but uh I mean this is disturbing and shocking and you and you're just jaw-dropping moment and it is these teen exploitation type movies I love but they are depressing too yeah. and and it's a reality. This this movie like took it up a notch at the very end. It's great. I think that it bo- it's bookended with jaw dropping, shocking moments that honestly are the best parts of the movie. Yeah, yeah, they really are because they're like the most meaningful. Where they just it's just like crazy how intense they are and wild. Yeah, yeah, and and definitely makes you sit up and notice. You know, it definitely makes this movie. Puts it in a different category. And like I said, you know, if you asked me what I thought of this movie, and, and Zach knows after the first time I watched it, I was like, Robert, why did you do this to us? And that was like, that was my headspace at the time, you know? Why, like I said, watching it the second time, breaking it down, I really, really appreciated the characters. I really appreciated the kids. You know, once you get past the fact that they're not actors, I think some of them do a great job. Some of them don't. Some of them are terrible, like Joe. But yet you still find yourself liking that character and everything, you know? Uh, I think, you know, probably Sheila is one of the stronger people. Um, but even Skinner's not even that great of an actor, but he has a presence. And you you want to just watch him on screen. And, man, it's this movie is interesting. I never in my entire life would have watched it. Um, but I'm glad I did. I am so very glad that I watched it. I'm very glad Robert brought this one to the table. We were originally going to do uh, Cemetery Man, a.k.a. Del Morte Del Mor. Um, that's what Robert originally wanted us to do. But Zach and I, there's no American Blu-ray out. And weirdly, like, you can't even find it really streaming anywhere. So we're kind of putting that one to the side because... That was actually a movie I would have brought to the table eventually whenever a a U.S. Blu-ray comes out. That'll be something I was going to bring anyways. So I'm really glad we got to watch a movie that I've never seen before. I had heard about, but never like looked into. I didn't know anything about. I just knew that I would probably never watch this film. And I'm so glad to now have it a part of my, my library. Yeah, this is the cool thing about our Patreon is if you sign up at the highest tier, like Robert did... You can choose and and Aaron as well and and Crystal earlier and Crystal too. Yep. You can choose a a movie, any movie you want for us to break down. It could be Sophie's choice for all Hmm. you want it to be. You guys (laughs) are paying for it. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, Robert chose suburbia. Robert, thank you for choosing suburbia. It was totally different than, um, you know, 
not totally different from what we do, but definitely more of a drama uh, than than more, you know, and it's a cult drama. Um, but thank you for bringing it to the table because I'm glad I watched it as well. It's It brought up a lot of great relevant points and is definitely a slice of time that uh, I, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to say it's like a time capsule movie because clearly there's moments in this film that are now very tangible in 2022, unfortunately. Uh, But thank you for bringing it to us. And you guys can bring whatever movie you want at the highest tier if you sign up to our Patreon. Cheap plug, cheap plug. So uh, please consider doing so. So thank you again, Robert. This month was great because, you know, um, Aaron brought Bachelor Party and then we had Suburbia. We had like two sides of a freaking coin you know (laughs) they couldn't be Um, any more different (laughs) yeah but that's the beauty of our show and and i hope robert i hope we did it justice for you i hope you enjoyed this review i hope everybody listening enjoyed this breakdown uh from Corey and myself and guys yeah i mean this is what our show is all about something different off kilter and i think uh you're right it's a great example because a lot of times people think podcast after dark is just a horror podcast so it's fun to see this month you know we're not just horror podcasts we're a cult movie so we're cult dramas we're cult action we're called cult comedies and everything like that and you know neither of the movies that our, our patrons picked were horror movies so i think that was very cool so swing on over to patreon.com slash podcasting after dark that's patreon.com slash podcasting after dark to uh you know sign up for that if you want to and uh a free way to help out the show too is to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts and spotify and i hope that you all do that as well on two dollar late fee leave them a five-star review on apple podcasts and spotify as well as check out their patreon you guys have a bunch of shit going on in patreon uh zach since this is a patreon you know selected show and everything what do you guys have going on patreon uh with two dollar late fee maybe end of this month or next month october Thank you for uh, teeing it up. A lot of great stuff going on. We have a $2 six-question segment with Craig Saffin, who's a music composer. He's our current interview this month, uh, or the month of September. And in going into October, whoo boy, it's going to be wild and, and lots of fun content. But uh, Craig Saffin, the, the reason I bring that one up is because he describes a particular sound known as the Saffin sound. Um, that's kind of a trademark sound and you'll hear it in that interview and he'll describe it, uh, really fun. Normally there's a segment called why does Zach own this on our show? And it's like, all then this is perfect for Robert Ortiz because Robert Ortiz has a lot of really cool, fun toys and whatnot that he collects. And he and I are in the same boat. Like, why do you own this? And, and I describe it. Well, Dustin shook it up this month and we have, does Zach like this? And it's a, it's a music segment that is um, very funny. Uh, you just, you got to sign up to listen to it. I highly encourage that you sign up at the middle tier of $2 late fee, at least the middle tier, because this segment alone is gold. Uh, but we, Corey knows we produce the hell out of our uh, Patreon content. We've got a bunch of shows on there, a bunch of shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been on a few like of we, the Patreon shows. 
you have and you will be back uh, oh, yeah. for Tales from the Video Store. Every year, baby. Every, I'll be every back year, once a year. <laughs> every couple of months. Just had David Irons on there, a yeah. friend of the show. And uh, David Irons has a brand new book coming out, actually. Yeah, the, um, the short story book, right? Yeah, yeah. If you sign up to our Patreon, Podcasting After Dark Patreon, uh, we'll probably be talking about that a little bit in our wrap-up After Dark this month. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. So go check out $2 Lay Fee. Go check out everything on the BFOP network. Check out Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast, as Adam and I barrel our way to the end of Seinfeld. But we're only on season four of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and there's... Well, I think they just renewed up to season 12, so we got a lot of curbs still to go through, but uh, we're having a lot of fun talking Larry David and all of his shenanigans. Talk about shenanigans. My God. Um, but uh, <laughs> check out everything on the BFOP Network. Check out Talking Back, Action, Action, Return, Revenge, Resurrection, Comics Underground, The Blast from Our Past, Throwback Trivia Takedown, People Don't Forget. You know the routine. You know the story. And also check out all the friends of our show. Of course, check out Tudor Lafey. Check out uh, Donna the Dead. Check out Ready to Retro. Check out Cinema 9 Podcast. Check out Give Me Back My Action Movies. Give me back my horror movies. Check out all the cool shows that we have. Uh, friends. All of our friends and everything. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And again, thank you, Robert. This was uh, this yeah. was, this was a blast. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for your love and support, you know, financially, but also emotionally and everything. And uh, you, you rock, man. All of our patrons rock. And you guys all out there rock. So thank you so Absolutely. much. Yeah. And as always... We'll catch you on the dark side. Be sure to subscribe to Podcasting After Dark and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Support Podcasting After Dark on Patreon. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Podcasting After Dark. And visit us next time for another installment of Podcasting After Dark with Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Imagine being one of the last people on Earth being trapped alone with something not human. Something always watching. Something always waiting. What would you do? Where would you run? Where would you hide? If you were haunted for seven winters alone. Podcasting After Dark presents Seven Winters Alone. A dystopian haunted house story by David Irons. Available now in paperback and ebook.